I'm Alex Shaw. I'm Sharon Shaw. And, and welcome, welcome to, to School of Movies. <laughs> Face off. I've been uh, chasing this guy ever since I joined the force. He, he has no conscience and he, uh, he shows no, no remorse. He's the mastermind behind numerous bombings and political assassinations. He... Uh, it's a felony list a mile long, murder, arson, kidnapping, terrorism, you name it. He's the most dangerous and brilliant criminal mind I've ever known. I, for years, I've, I've been watching him, tracking him, studying his every every move. I know his every, every mannerism, facial tick gesture. I know him better than he knows himself. And now, after all this time, I finally figured out a way to trap him. I will become him. I don't care if I live. You're not having any fun, are you, Sean? Try terrorism for hire. We'll blow some stuff up. It's more fun. Plan B. Let's just kill each other. The Rage Cage season concludes our trilogy of shows covering the rare and absurd just over a year-long period when Nicolas Cage was Hollywood's hottest action hero. For this release, mere weeks after Con Air in the summer of 97, we recruited Hollywood actress, the newly married Maya Suris. Congratulations, Maya. Thank you. I can eat a peach for hours. <laughs> Do you know what? I prefer it with the inflection you gave it there. Yeah, that, it's much that more cheery. Like enthusiasm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I, I agree. He is just expressing his love of fruit. And replicating the lineup of our Mortal Kombat Annihilation show, it is Jason Chewy Slate of the Magic the Gathering podcast, The Manor Pool. Oh, hi, Chewy. Oh, hi. So this is a high-concept, high-octane action film from the 90s of the kind that is born in improvised, desperate elevator pitches in between floors, sandwiched in between what if Jean-Claude Van Damme was a time policeman and what if Keanu Reeves was a cold fusion scientist. And originally it was going to be Arnold Schwarzenegger versus Sylvester Stallone. Swapping faces, and I suspect oh. that would have evolved a lot more grappling and throwing each other through things. And Harrison Ford versus Michael Douglas was going to be another version of it, which I assume would have involved a lot fewer explosions and a lot more drama and intense pointing. But you make the film your cast matches, and this was during the period that America was becoming, shall we say, Asia curious. And along with Hard Target and Broken Arrow, prior to Mission Impossible 2, they were giving John Woo, one of the greatest action directors of all time, a whole bunch of US productions. So we're going to go scene by scene and talk about how flipping insane this whole thing is, because this movie exists in a stylized reality where if you question the logic for even a moment, it explodes screaming like a pig in a war. So let's do exactly that for maximum explosions. <laughs> when you were doing the um, the what if uh, elevator pitches there, mm -hmm. I was thinking that's making Marvel's outing seem 
ever so reasonable and like totally natural and normal. Yeah, what if T'Challa was Star-Lord? That's easy. Like, what if Keanu Reeves was the smartest man in the world? Because remember, this was pre-Matrix and in the in like 1997, Keanu Reeves was considered to be um, sweet and pretty and not very clever. And as it turned out, he's got staying power. Even he's in, a really decent guy. Even in Point Break, he was basically in the FBI on a mm. football scholarship. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but I'm taller. Yeah, the 90s were a naive time when we did not understand the extent of Keanu Reeves yet. Uh, however, he was at least used to uh, the like to fantastic uh, um, applause in Speed and the aforementioned Point Break. I think it was just stuff like Chain Reaction, Johnny Monomic, and there was at least one other which was in relative quick succession mm. prior to The Matrix. Yeah. I actually would have accepted a version of this which was Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter, mm. if only for the fact that at some point they have to make a joke about the fact that there is a foot in height difference between them. I suppose they could have faced off. Uh, they, actually, also, extra props to Keanu for this exact same summer of 97, going, oh, speed two. Oh, heavens no. Oh, thank you. Thank you, but no. Uh, let Jason Patrick do that. You can call him Alex Shaw. That is literally Jason Patrick's name in speed two. Right, we begin with a prologue wherein good guy... Hmm, I think We Hate Movies ran into this problem. They were like, Sean Archer, no wait, cast a Troy in Sean Archer's body, who looks like John Travolta, but is actually Nicolas Cage. Like Nicolas Cage. Um, they had to abbreviate it to the good guy and the bad guy. And I think it's probably the best way of doing that, because the good guy in this film is really, really good. And I think lawful good is, oh. a, is a good way of putting it. I thought you meant inequality. I was going to say. I'm oh, no, no, no. I'm, I just mean like he's a goody two-shoes. Yes. Whereas the bad guy is the worst man ever, apart from Jason Clark in Serenity. He is just this great grinning, cackling, mad villain. Mm, And at the beginning, a personal vendetta of theirs uh, explodes into something really dark and nasty as uh, Sean Archer, originally played here by John Travolta, is going round and round with his young, what, like, eight-year-old son. I think he's a bit younger than that. I think he's about five or six. Five, six-year-old son, Sean. Sean? No. Michael. 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 Yeah. Yeah. This, This opener, I have to say, somebody sat down with a notebook and went, right, how many threatened kids tropes can I come up with to put in this opening scene? Mm -hmm. Because you've got the the carousel, the fairground music that sounds vaguely Christmassy-ish. There wasn't another Um, person in sight. Yeah, there's there's them, and it's just completely apparent that something's about to go horribly wrong. It's them on their own in a black and white fairground in slow motion. Balloons float off into the sky, including a red one, which I have come to the conclusion is now the Hollywood uh, like standard symbol for lost child. Yeah, if Castor hadn't gotten him, Pennywise would have. Exactly. Yeah, uh, but notably, Sean does his thing. Uh, which is when he shows that he loves you in this by pouring your face. Can anyone interpret this this face slap thing that he does? Yes. So I would actually like to borrow a term from the podcast, How Did This Get Made? They coined the term the face waterfall for this move, and I think it's a perfect way to describe it. Yeah. Um, uh, describe it for the folks at home who for some reason haven't seen Face Off what does he do to his kid he takes his hand he puts it over his kid's face and then kind of lightly caresses his fingers down his son's face and like like a cascade of fingers <laughs> hence the face 
<laughs> Hence the face waterfall, which is why I have sort of adopted that term from the uh, how did this get made, folks? A cascade of fingers. It's weird because... Yes. Oh, it was like a cascade of fingers. Once you've seen yeah, the movie disgusting. once, it almost feels like this move of Sean's is a, is a thing whereby he can only really connect with somebody by feeling their face and therefore because his face is going to become not his Mm. he loses the ability to connect with himself because if he did that he wouldn't be feeling his own face he would be feeling the pokey nose of Nicolas Cage and Nicolas Cage tries to feel his own face later on and it comes away bloody yeah exactly so but it almost the gesture almost seems like if instead of just like drawing his fingers down and off the chin he pulled the fingers together he would in fact be pulling Michael's face off off I feel like Travolta probably came up with this move. Honest trailers showed him also fingering Idina Menzel's face at some kind of award ceremony. Yeah. And she's a very oh. shy lady. So she was like, oh, John. Why? And he was like, mm, 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 my lovely, da- no, darling honestly, Idina. I was like, oh. When no. he does it to Joan Allen later on, like consummate professional that this woman is, but the look on her face is like, for the we love of We discussed this Sean. and I said no. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, uh, a very... Apparently I'm the dissenting opinion here because I thought that that was not only moderately sweet, you know, in the the reality of the film, but it's also good cinematic storytelling. This movie is loaded with cinematic storytelling, whereas a lesser filmmaker would be like, okay, look, he does this when he loves someone. But this just does it, and then you're like, what the hell was that? And then later in the movie, he does it again, and you go... Ah. Oh, and then later in the movie, he does it again. It's like, oh. That's his special Sean touch. It comes up a lot. It's like a secret handshake, but he does it on you. It is like a secret handshake. I tried to keep a count of how many times this actually happens in the film. I lost track, but there was, funnily enough, there's a point where he does the face waterfall move to a photograph at one point Mm. and like it goes to ridiculous lengths because like this is a picture of your son okay this is not actually a person do you understand that this is not actually a person (laughs) if it's a communication he then punches the photo no 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 (laughs) i think honestly that point and i i think chewy is onto something here the the they use it to convey other things further on when he does it to the photograph if it's a communication to the person that he cares about a photograph can't pick that up from him he also starts to do it to Gina Gershon Mm -hmm. and then kind of seems to realize she's not going to understand what that means you're not special to me like I, I can't I can't do it to this person because I can't actually care about like this I interrogated one her, of this, yeah, but exactly. I don't love her. One of the enemies, supposedly, so he can't no, I can't do it. Like he's tortured about the fact that he wants to, but he knows in his heart of hearts he can't. Yeah. I do agree with Chewie in that it's actually good storytelling in that it's something that both actors can do and you go, Oh, so it's that guy that's underneath. The, yeah, it. that's the gesture. It is it's it's a good visual way of communicating something, but I do think that both things can be true. It is horrendously creepy, and if somebody did it to me, I would be sorely tempted to bite them. Um, but um, but it Maybe. does communicate very accurately that when hmm. this is shown. Okay, we got yes. to get off the seventeenth second of this movie because <laughs> they started it. A heavily stashed cage. A heavily stashed, stashed 
uh, Nicolas Cage shoots Sean in the back with a sniper rifle, but the bullet goes right through him and kills the kid. And I always theorised, age 17 and up, when I was watching this back in the uh, back in the day, that on some level, Caster felt a little bit bad about this, and it's unusual because he's sociopathic and doesn't seem to care about anybody, anyone, anything apart from Pollux. And... I don't know, there's occasional moments when that's corroborated by the movie, and then there's moments where Caster abjectly refuses to think about anything he's done, so I don't think I can read that much into it. Mm. Anybody else feel like he felt bad? Maybe he felt bad because Sean Archer didn't die, and he's like, oh, man. Yeah, but he's right yeah, there. The Just shoot him in the head instead. while he's well, in, in his worst moment thing. ever. He only brought one bullet, though, see? Oh, right. <laughs> Cheap ass. Oh. That, that tricky sniper rifle that only has one bullet to fit in the chamber. I would shoot you I in the head if I could afford too, it. Like, yeah, but I kind of saw it that way too. It was like, ah, oh, crap. Like, this was not my intended target, and also my intended target didn't die. Well, don't of shoot course, him on a yes. merry-go-round then. That's a tricky shot. Yeah, could have could have gone back to to get the kill after he realized it, but I guess yeah, just one magic bullet, he wasted it. Whoopsie doodles. Basically, either that you go one of two ways. You either have him be like, "Yeah, I'm sorry I killed your kid." And that actually has, like, we are given little hints that that actually has kind of haunted him and maybe allowed uh, him to not in any way bond with Adam. And or you go the other way and you have him go, oh, no, no, I didn't kill you then because I wanted you to live with the absolute worst and knowing it was your fault. And just make him so fucking sadistic and evil that you're like, kill this guy! But they didn't do either of those rather more interesting things. Act one, Sean Archer is a miserable and uptight stick in the mud, entirely understandably, and uh, kind of beats all of his, uh, his like, FBI cronies over the head with the rule book all the time whilst shouting at them that they have but yet found Caster Troy yet! This just While record. also breaking rules. Oh yeah. Oh, you can brand the Fifth Amendment on my butt! This was Fourth, fourth the Amendment. First... Fourth, Sixth yeah, Amendment. Yeah, you, <laughs> you did that before. Yeah, but he doesn't want to incriminate himself either. See, this is the thing. You say he's lawful good, but there are several occasions in this where maybe it's because he's being pushed by Oh yeah, bit of a maverick. Not but afraid he, to break the he rules. He does try. He tries. Nobody will let him. But he tries to break the rules, and at one point he almost shoots an informant to try and get some information. I mean, the face-off itself is not... Is, is breaking the rules, yeah, sort of. that's yeah, why they have it? to keep it secret. Yeah. But this, yeah, this was the first... So maybe he's my, neutral good? My diatribe moments of, what the fuck, FBI? <laughs> you have this dude who is already considerably emotionally compromised over the death of his child. Yeah, sure this traumatized is. traumatised by the fact that he witnessed it and he was seriously injured himself in the same incident. You have decided, in your infinite wisdom, to put him in charge of the case against the murderer of this child. You then subject him to further traumatising, unnecessary surgery, put him in a situation where his very identity <laughs> is placed into question, and then you send him into a highly threatening environment with no recovery time whatsoever. What the fuck, FBI? And the FBI's like, uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. 
That's just, for me, it was only Tuesday. Tuesday. Hmm. Yeah, go into this highly uh, experimental prison with no way of getting out, and any number of things could go wrong to to take out the very few people who know about this plan and could extract you from that situation. Mm. Sorry, buddy, you're on your own. Good luck. But just the, the ethics that are being shat on. For him to even be in charge of the case against the Troy brothers in the first well, place. Yeah, of course. Like the you Troy would never brothers. in in real life, you would never have somebody that is this personally involved, this closely tied to the case, stay on this case with the same person. Mm. And yet, and yet, and yet, he's the guy for the job. He was described in one of the interviews as um, uh, uh, there's a guy who got bitten by a great white shark in real life, but instead of hating great white sharks, he became fascinated with them. And I think Travolta said that himself. And we were shouting at the TV, no, Sean Archer is not fascinated with Castor Troy. He hates him and is obsessed with him. But he's not like, oh, you're so interesting. It's not the same thing as becoming fascinated with the species. I'm pretty sure if you put him in a room with the exact great white that attacked him, he'd be a bit pissed He's off. fucking Captain Ahab. He is like, I've got to get this white yeah, whale absolutely. and I will take everyone I, down with me if I have I to. I can completely understand somebody having something horrible done to them by a person becoming completely fascinated with psychology to understand how people in general tick. Mm. But this is not fascination with somebody because they've hurt you. So anyway, cut to Castor Troy, Nicolas Cage himself, as a crazy priest touching on a young girl. An entire film of Father Troy's antics. Yes, this scene is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Somebody grabs him from wherever this place is and says, Father, there's an emergency. You're wanted back at the church. Well, hold on a second. I'm actually not really a father. No, no, no. There's no time. No, wait, seriously. (laughs) And before you know it, he is in charge of Manhattan Parish. (laughs) (laughs) So he sets this bomb for something like 260 hours in, into... Oh, yeah. it's, it's 11 like, days. 11 days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did the math real quick. I was like, wait, what is that number? I'm sure that there is a historical instance of a bomb being set that far in advance, but it doesn't seem very practical. It's it like, seems highly likely somebody would trip over it in the meantime. It's huge! Yeah, it's not exactly inconspicuous. And I like the actual, uh, the, the I don't know what they're using, maybe a, an early 1997 version of Windows Vista or something, but the interface basically oh involves God, we're all going to die. a cartoon stripper yeah. going, oh baby, you have just armed me, <laughs> and jiggling her boobies. Uh, it's uh, obscene. Uh, you didn't say the magic word. This is just uh, what they uh, thought uh, computers uh. and technology were in the 90s again. Also, when he crashes this choir, just for the record, mm-hmm. the, right, the grab-assing that goes on in it's this movie, and they open as they want to go on by having Nicolas Cage grope a girl who looks all of 16. And she's and into it as well. That's the worst thing about it. Rather than her being like, ugh, she's like, ooh, I've never met a horny priest before. This priest is DTF. And you're like, no. And like, the face he pulls makes it look like he nutted immediately. (laughs) That is just the best face. It, oh my god. Like, like, there are so many parts of this movie that have become memes and, and yeah. I never really enjoy the Messiah. In fact, I think it's fucking boring. But your voice makes even a hack like Handel seem like a genius. Oh! 
I could be wrong, but I think that that, that face like, is is our call right now. Yeah, there are just so many memeable shots of Nick Cage, Chewie. I was just thinking that, like, man, at like, especially in the very beginning parts of this, like, it's just, it is Cage Prime. This is prime caging in this entire movie, but especially in like the choir scene and then the airplane um, uh, airport sequence that's coming up. That poor flight attendant. Do you know what? There is not a woman in this movie that I don't feel sorry for. Yeah, that's true. Everyone had to put up with the antics of these guys. But yeah, he's setting this bomb for like a hundred or so hours in advance. I think he's doing it on behalf of someone else. He's not just trying to blow people up he's a terrorist yeah, for he's hire, a terrorist for hire yeah. yeah and when he turns up at the uh, when he turns up at the airfield there's this succession of weird shit that happens first of all like his cronies have uh, like have paid for this plane and they're just waiting for him to turn up he turns up on the runway and like like exits a limo when, and then the wind in slow motion catches his long coat which I believe was supposed to be the priest robes yes and then it flies mm-hmm. out and then he's wearing tiny little sunglasses which are very much a kind of you put it on and then you go deal with it that's a meme right there and we also see his gold guns at the back. It is basically designed to make a 15-year-old boy think that Castor Troy is the coolest man in the entire world, despite the fact worked. that he's horrendous. It, it did work. You know, he's just like a spiky hairdo away from being an anime character. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like, I was... Wait, when did this come out? 97? 97. Yeah, I was 16 when this movie came out, and that scene with the coat, I was like... I want that coat so bad. And I still do, I'm not gonna lie. My ass is 40 now. Look at it dramatically (laughs) flutter in the wind. You want this. This is was not the first instance of Cage being crazy and manic. He was crazy and manic in Moonstruck, Hell and no. he was really crazy and manic in Vampire's Kiss, which Vampire's we covered uh, way back in early 2020 before we knew what was going to happen. Thinking about it, I'm going to move the Vampire's Kiss episode to the end of this season, so it should be right at the top of the feed for you to re-listen to next week. One of our funniest episodes by far. Yeah, it was, he'd, he'd done things like uh, Raising Arizona and Wild at Heart in between times, and but this was because he'd just done The Rock, where he was relatively bolted down and like I'm playing a guy who was sort of you know in over his head, and then he played Cameron Poe in Con Air, and he was super cool and like John McClane but very laid back with it. Now suddenly he was sputtering and screaming as Castor Troy and pulling crazy faces, and then even as Sean Archer he became manic and crazed and screaming and smashing things. I think that this was like the point where Nick Cage kind of went off the deep end and was like, oh, oh, you really like that? Okay, I'll see if I can do that more often. And then, like, he, he still played cool guys, like in Gone in 60 Seconds and Snake Eyes, but then occasionally you'd see him just going frickin' mental in, say, Ghost Rider. Yeah, when he was doing his um, his interviews and the, the talking heads for this, mm. he made mention in there somewhere of the... Uh, I don't think he quite used the term spiritual, but he was talking about meditating on the past. Oh, I meditated on Castro yeah. Troy, yes. And- I mean, to his credit, I would say he is better in this movie, both dramatically as Sean and like crazy evil as Castro Troy, than Travolta is in either role. Mm. He actually does. Um, in the immediate few minutes after the... Uh, transplants taken place and he's just kind of warming up to being mm. when Sean is stuck in Caster's face yeah um, his cages 
Cage's mimicry mm. of Travolta's vocal patterns is actually really good. It's, it's Travolta's voice. In an understated way, it really sounds like he's got the cadence that Travolta was giving. Oh, you mean after they've like, actually gotten his voice to sound voice. like Nick Cage yeah. again? Yeah. 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 And there was a, a, quite a bit of, um, they both respect each other and love each other, but they were also kind of cautious about, am I allowed to do this? Can I do that? As you. And, and they were kind of keeping each other at a slight professional distance, if that makes sense. They weren't going out every night and eating chicken together. You know, just like Lady in the Tramp uh, Italian meals. So he's on the airfield after we've seen this incredibly cool guy. Again, another one of these bits of visual storytelling. He kneels down uh, and does up uh, Pollux Troy's shoelace in a kind of... Uh, like, that tells the audience he's been doing this for Pollux's entire life, since that foot was teeny tiny. Very specifically, he unfastens the lace from however it is that Pollux has tied it, mm. and then ah. reties it. Like you don't know how to tie your shoelaces, exactly. but, but Daddy does. But the fact that this comes immediately after uh, the fact that Pollux has um, opened them to being located by going himself to the airfield, I don't know, cash desk? I really don't think this is how private airfields They work. have so many hedge people, it makes no sense that Pollock's well, would. Exactly He's a wanted what, man. Yeah, that's exactly what Castor says to him. This is what the boys are supposed to do. But he went and paid in cash for the plane himself, hmm. and that alerted the um, uh, FBI to the fact that this is where they are. So the tying of the shoelace is kind of reinforcing that, oh, God, you get everything wrong, I have to do everything for you. Hmm. And then when he's on the plane, you mentioned the uh, air hostess before. It's an FBI agent in disguise, and this is where he t mm. this is where he tells her he could eat a peach for hours, and this mm -hmm. repeats throughout the film. You know, I can uh, eat a peach for hours. Peach. I could eat a peach for hours. Moving to the country, I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches. Moving to the country, I'm gonna eat a lot of peaches. Uh-huh. Who fucking knows? Maybe, I mean, that, if nothing else, suggests that uh, Casta Troy, Sharon is shaking her head. She's <laughs> her hands. As she well should be. Clutched <laughs> around her where face. Where the deepest analysis <laughs> of... <laughs> These of how to go from front to back? Yes. Um, but <laughs> it suggests that, if nothing else, C Castor Troy is actually remarkably giving in the bedroom. See, here's the thing. <laughs> for, this, <laughs> for this to have come about as something that he has been able to find out about himself, this requires women, plural, to be willing... To allow him to yeah. do that for hours. And I personally would say that you'd be amazed how quickly I would get to the, oh, that was amazing, honey. Okay, let's move on. Yeah, it's, it's, that is way, like an hour way too long, in my humble opinion. Jeez. So, wait. Make notes, everyone at home. Wait a minute, I'm getting choked up. Does that mean he's really good at it? Or really that, bad? Or really bad at it, yeah. That's I just thing. had an orgasm. Multiple orgasms. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah. Oh, I mean, the, uh, this guy is a creep, but we can <laughs> at least, like, maybe we can at least give him that. He's he's trying to please his sexual partners. Yeah, I but guess. then he immediately says, if I were to send you flowers, where would I, uh, <laughs> no, wait, let me rephrase. If I were to let you suck my tongue, would you be grateful? Mm-hmm. And at this point, I throw up in my mouth Blah. a little. Disgusting. At, at this, the uh, the uh, air hostess, where it's suddenly, whoa, 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 even though I've just put this on the table, you've got to suck my tongue first. She seems yeah, kind of into it, too. Out. She's yes, very she's deep like, cover. She's All right. dressed like someone's mom. This is just, just this whole thing. <laughs> well, this whole JCPenney so thing. Totally off It's kind of turning me on now, actually, now that you put it like that. Ugh. Yeah, the the lengths she will go to, the depths to which she'll sink to get a case. She is very dedicated. So dedicated. And she gets shot to death by him within minutes for her troubles. For her troubles. Yeah. The Followed entire... by another very memeable shot of the shrug. The shrug, oh my God. Chef's kiss to that shrug. It's incredible. This is Nick Cage every time he kills someone going, wah, wah, at Sean. Ain't I a stinker? Yeah. <laughs> I did notice that uh, after they get into this really good, like, kind of face-off, wow, we both know our guns. Because I don't care. I, I, can I do Travolta? I don't care if I live and you do. That's that was a- Bill Clinton. <laughs> oh, yeah, but God. he played Bill Clinton. He did play Bill Clinton. Okay. Hey so there, Caster Troy. Bill Clinton. I don't Which, care if I way. live and you do, so watch your fucking mouth. It's uh, a terrible thing to say. Like, just because he has lost one child, it's like his wife and his other child don't matter. Yeah, I mean... What a fucked up thing to say. Sean is a mess. And I think the film is kind of, like, saying that. It's saying this family is in tatters Mm -hmm. and his job is to pull this shit back together again. And at the worst possible time, he does a face-off. Which, Mm. again, brings me back to the the what-the-fuck FBI because Castor sets up Sean's arc moving forwards by saying to him, if you bring me in... What the hell are you going to do next? Because you will, you'll have nothing to keep you going. Yeah. You will go home and drive your wife and daughter crazy. I'm your white whale, mm. Sean. He's like, yeah, well, I could, I could certainly get into like making a boat. Mm. And in six <laughs> years, his supervisor never realised that this was a problem. Yeah, it all happens in one week. This whole thing, like everything that, like all of these fuses that were lit over many, many years, all creep down and explode in the same week. It's crazy. So it's worthy of note. Okay, so uh, he and Castor Troy have a fight. There is the signature John Woo leaping sideways in slow motion with two mm-hmm. guns at this point. And I th- honestly, I think Nick Cage does it in an incredibly cinematic way to rival Chow Yun-Fat in The Killer or Hard Boiled. And this it's happens after the plane crashes into the fireworks storage hangar. Yeah, apparently they just stored a bunch of fireworks, which is baffling to me that, like, Okay, if you want to hide the fact that you're just blowing off fireworks, why put the fireworks sound effects in the... Like, (laughs) don't use those sound effects. When are they going to get to the fireworks factory? (laughs) Now. I know, I know, it's crazy. I mean, 
to be uh, to be honest and fair to this movie, like this whole sequence, this whole action set piece with the you know the airplanes and the, all the the car chases, the the hangar and all that stuff, like it looks really cool. Like it actually is a very well done action set piece. So I would give the filmmakers all the credit for that. Like it's very impressive. The plane going through the window actually it, it draws the eye very well. And until you mentioned mm. that there, there's like fireworks going off around it 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 honestly in my head it's always just been well the window exploded because that's what glass does when you hit it sure but then they yeah. add that and it, one one thing that i did want to mention though that just because i do this for a living i notice and because we live in a world of like hd and and everything else I, I couldn't help but notice there's a guy in one of these sequences where you can see the wires on this dude before he takes a wreck. Like, they did not try to hide these cables at all. Mm. Oh. They are just right there. It's like, he looks like a fucking marionette right now. He's just got wires hanging from him. And then he goes and just like, yep, that was a wire gag, all right. There Fantastic. are a lot of there's... occasions in this where they, it's Yo. almost like they want you to see how they, they... set this up. <laughs> There is definitely there is a full frontal face shot of Nick Cage of one of Nick Cage's stunt doubles in one of in a shot of one of these uh, sequences and uh, get used to that folks because there's a heck of a lot more of that coming up later on. Oh, yeah. That but was actually was a of... question I wanted to ask you, Maya. Given that this is your yes. if you're oh, allowed, now. I don't want to raise the ire of the the Stunties Guild. I know how they are. <laughs> yeah, there I noticed a lot of that's not even trying to be that actor mm -hmm. in any way. And you don't see that nowadays. So I I didn't know, and like, this was 97, so it's not like, well, home video yeah. isn't a thing. Yes, yes it was, it was, it was a huge thing. It was, except it was not in, like you could get away with a lot of this kind of thing because uh, for a typical audience member, they either wouldn't notice or the video quality on their VHS tape would have been so poor that they really wouldn't have been able to yeah. see it. When but you now paused it, it would like, go la cucaracha and everything yes. would jump around. Yeah, but now we've got Blu-ray and like HD transfers of these things, so it is crystal clear. I'm and, pretty you know, sure the one with the exploding boat I noticed on VHS a thousand years ago. Possibly, though. possibly. <laughs> That, I mean, like, you can chalk that up to also, like, uh, it's um, hopefully nobody will notice. But, you know, nowadays we have the benefit of things like digital face swapping. You know, you can put dots on the stunt double's face and just spatter the actor's face right on it, just place it right over. Um, That's why we don't see Heidi Moneymaker. Yeah. Because like, it, she's always got Scarlett Johansson's face on. Ironically, it's this process. That, Either that or, like, some people have gotten very accustomed, like, and this is something, like, it's a habit that sometimes is difficult to break, where we will, like, just out of habit, out of force of habit, just hide our faces away from whatever camera. Like, you are taught to hide your face yeah. when you're doing stunts. So, you know, in some cases you can't. In some cases they're like, well, we'll just kind of hope that people don't notice but I mean, like, even now, I, I've noticed, you know, some uh, even Marvel shows where I'm like, oh, that is just the, the stunt double. And they did not face swap. They didn't hide it. They didn't do shit. They just let that stunt man have his moment in the sun. Nice. So, so it's like a flashback to the 90s. 
Kind of, yeah. They were they were doing the um, laying the face on top uh, as far back as Jurassic Park. I don't know if they did it any time before then, but it was uh, Ariana Richardson, um, Lex, when she's just about, you know, when she falls through the, f- uh, the vent and the yes. raptors beneath her and it jumps up to grab her. The stunty looks up for just a moment and they pasted her face digitally. It's, it's, it's seamless. Mm. Um, and it just sells that moment. And I, I love when that's done because that is stunties and digital artists and actors all working together in perfect harmony to sell you the intended illusory shot. I love I love seeing the, you know how they composite that stuff, mm. um, but I mean I love seeing stunties working in scenarios where they're doing something fucking amazing. Anyway, I like when I see uh, the bit in T two where it's so obvious that is not Schwarzenegger collecting obviously not John. Um, Eddie Furlong off his little bike mm. and going round the side of the uh, T-1000's um, juggernaut. Like I'm like, yes, that's a really great stunt. Because when you see a stuntman's oh, yeah. face, you know something dangerous was done. Yeah, and and I, I completely agree. Like, I love seeing stuff like that. And to their credit, like these guys and gals look like they are having a ball. They look like they're having the time of their lives. Oh, yeah. So I... I get a little envious sometimes when I see these things. I'm like, man, that looks like fun. That whole <laughs> boat sequence looked like it was so much fun. I wish I could like teleport back to the early '90s as an adult and do some of this stuff in my own career. You know, like it, it, a lot of these kind of things you just don't see anymore. Yeah. I, and specifically with the boat uh, gag, I wonder if that was just not a thing they could set up again. Probably not. I mean, this would have the coordination of that whole boat. And I know we're skipping way, way, way far to the end. But that whole uh, boat chase action set piece would have taken weeks to coordinate and just so much time to shoot everything that was involved in it. Like there are so many moving parts. You know, with the, the boats and the, the the fact that they could put something like that together, even in the first place, is incredibly impressive. You know, it, it takes so much prep work for for a scene like that. I would I would not be surprised a month at least on just that one part of the movie. <laughs> well, I think you better pull the trigger because I don't give a fuck. I'm ready. Ready for the big ride, baby! Okay, so uh, Joan Allen and I'm gonna CCH Pounder. She comes in a little bit later. You mm-hmm. meet uh, Joan Allen as his wife first, and you have uh, Sean's interaction with his family. CCH Pounder comes in as the uh, I think she's working for the FBI. She is somehow connected with the clinic that does the face-off procedure. Mm. She's the face-off head lady. She's, like the, the yeah, she's like Sean, one of Sean Archer's bosses. I yeah, like she's the police commissioner or something. Okay, so somebody who's been completely happy with him pursuing the man who killed his son. I was going to say uh, that she and Joan Allen both make a much better head of the FBI than uh, uh, Sean Ar- than John Travolta or Nicolas Cage. Frankly, it just uh, it feels like they've they've got it in hand. It could just be Joan Allen's extensive work as Pamela Landy in uh, the Bourne uh, films. But um, yeah, the. I think she was also in um, The Candidate, where she was going to be a president. Mm. A female president, so that's a sci-fi. <laughs> yeah, his home life is is beleaguered. And then <laughs> when he comes home, Dominique Swain <laughs> is there, fresh off of Lolita with Jeremy Irons. 
And she's like, we know that she's fucked up and she's upset because when she turns around, she has a nose ring and some eye makeup. And that tells you, as a concerned dad, that your daughter is wayward. Oh, no. A nose she's ring. She's a goth. <laughs> no. Yeah. I think it's the it's the uh, the the shot reverse shot in this or, or reversal of this scenario where at the end of the movie she's taken the nose ring out and is wearing pleasant girl clothes. She's gotten over what uh, what she was going through at this at uh, this stage and she's been cured of uh, of everything and probably just because of all the good dad stuff that uh, Sean did whilst playing Nicolas Cage, um, oh and boy. that's good. Um, it it reminds oh me of the I, I want to call him Sean Mullins the video for. Lullaby starring Dominique Swain. See if you can spot the point where it infantilizes her. She still lives with her mom outside the city. Down that street about a half a mile. And all her friends tell her she's so pretty. She'd be a whole lot prettier if she smiled once in a while. Even her smile looks like a frown She's seen her share of devils in this angel town one of the most fucking patronizing songs I've ever seen in one of the most patronizing music videos, which features Dominique Swain, slightly younger than this, with this creep in a club singing to her, rockabye, rockabye, girl, it's okay. Your parents were famous, and you had a hard life growing up in a rich family. Rockabye. The fact that she played Lita, actually, which I had forgotten... Means I, I forgot have to that go, too. I have to go back to my notes about the way uh, Travolta interacts with her as Castor Troy mm -hmm. and underline everything. <laughs> yeah. Do you think they incorporate that? Makes oh. it worse. Do you think they incorporated oh, the so Adrian gross. Line film along with this uh, as they were doing it, or were they just like, oh, that's that's fun? Or do you think Dominique knew? But like she specifically said in one of the interviews that Sean becomes when he's an evil maniac criminal, the kind of cool dad that all teenagers want. You know, the kind that gives you a weapon and beats the shit out of your boyfriend and uh, you know encourages you, you to smoke. Encourages and you to smoke. You in your own bedroom. And yeah, That's comes exactly pretty close to molesting you. Oh my uh, god. Uh, uncomfortable. Yeah. Yep. There's, there's kind of an incesty thread in this movie. It, it doesn't keep lurching out, but there's a there's another bit later on with two completely different people where you're like, hang on, what? And it never gets explained. I wrote that down too. It was just hang on, what? Okay, I, we'll get and, there. And it's not even a matter of a movie being of its time. It was uncomfortable then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I remember like, yeah. squirming in my seat and going, sorry, what? 
this was like, oh so... no, young daughter. Oh, this is gonna be gross. Uh, oh, so okay, no, that wasn't gross. It was just weird. Tiny little things in this that just should not happen. Even, like even when you've got a, an actor who is capable of being one of the most professional people in the history of the world, CCH Pounder puts a cigarette out on Nicolas Cage while he's in a coma to demonstrate that he is in a coma and can't feel anything. He's a turnip. You don't put cigarettes out on your patients. Nicolas Cage was talking about, they made a clone of me. It breathes. And I'm like, it's it's not a clone, Nick. It's a prosthetic. <laughs> He's like, yeah, I saw it. I saw it on a hospital bed. Don't tell me I didn't see it. I will just say this, actually, because that, that whole, the effect sequence where they move the faces around is done with uh, animatronics and... Um, and makeup effects. They didn't cut the face off mm-hmm. of Nick Cage? No, no, no. What I mean is, when I was watching it, <laughs> in my head, it was CG. But, of course, it was 1997. They couldn't do yeah. that by CG. It's though. a very Verhoeven, Paul Verhoeven-style effect. It's gooey. Yeah, it re- it does. It, it's got that kind of visceral feel to it. It's, mm. I mean, the whole, this whole surgery montage is absolute bonkers. Yeah, i Especially, I've... like, the... The vacuum suck to take the actual faces off is just like, oh, oh, cursed. Right? I, I looked it's... into the science of it and uh, I've literally put here the cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs, Jimmy Bugnuts, crazier than a shithouse rat, mad as a mongoose, nonsense science behind the face off procedure. Um, it, do, do you want to explain it to uh, explain it to folks at home just in case they haven't seen this film? Because it kind of does warrant being mentioned. So, what they do is, they use this fancy brand new thing in 1997 called lasers to actually cut just the skin of your face off. Off. I'm not Mm -hmm. entirely sure how, so they they, they do the laser around the edges. Yep. But I'm not entirely sure how it doesn't. Like the parts that aren't lasered come off so oh, easily. Oh, um, there, there's a good explanation for that. Funk, it's the suction thing that just sort of sucks the rest of the face off. And all of those nerve endings, every single little bit of your muscular structure that was actually attached to that skin, it just relinquishes it like butter. Oh, <laughs> see, I, I just sort of figured that... There was irreparable harm done, but apparently not. My bad. No, no, no. It's actually it's better. It's, Sean it's comes fine. back from it's this double face-off procedure, a better man. Somewhere yeah. there is a surgeon who specializes in the incredibly complex, difficult, and intricate field of face transplants, watching this movie, throwing uh-huh. her scalpel over her shoulder and going, <laughs> yeah. why the fuck do I bother? Going, this is not how this works. <laughs> so then... And then not being removing... invited back to the Odeon. Well, <laughs> <laughs> after removing both faces, because you have to take both faces off to swap them, duh. Uh, right. They just put the other one on the person's head. Yep. And then, very casually, he says, then you just hook up the nerve endings and the oh, tear ducts easy. and muscles. And oh, it's yeah. Again, and I'm like, like that butter. That's a part that takes hours and days. Well, I mean, it's, healing it's time. fairly simple. You just kind of glue the face on and you let nature do the rest. Yeah. And there was a guy, like a person, who is moving, like squishing the face around on 
Yeah. The well, hair, you've got to get it to adhere to the like, shape, otherwise the right it'll look spot. the wrong shape. I was like, don't touch it. You're d- what are you? <laughs> <laughs> look, faces are not delicate, despite what you've heard. Just the yeah. level of infection knocking around in this surgical oh, room. Yeah. Also, oh, just to go off of that, before they even put the new face on Sean Archer... They start cutting his hair. Yeah, we have movies pointed that out. They they start cutting his hair before they put. So he's just got a, a giant open wound on his face, and they start trimming his hairline back. Like, why are you doing it in that order? For <laughs> sure, going Wait, to get no, the on. little I... tiny hairs in under his skin and in his blood and his. Oh God, oh. so gross. And this, I, I just need to. Uh, I feel kind of itchy. To, to a sentence you said there. It's not a giant open wound on his face. It's a giant open wound as That is his face. face. That is his face, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. And also, a small point, <laughs> but seems like one that would be quite crucial. Nick Cage's eyes are closer together than John Travolta's. <laughs> so unless they have some way to stretch that face... They mentioned the eye widener. What, should, what we should Never mind, say, like... Travolta having a much more defined jawline. Well, absolutely. But Mm -hmm. what we should see is when he sits up, like, the eyes should be closer to the nose (laughs) and he should be looking out through the holes like a poorly fitting Halloween mask. Oh, Oh, yikes. Oh, yikes. If you look for face-off deep fake... It's hideous. It's terrifying. It looks like yeah. a, a sad clown. Oh boy! But you see, this is this is exactly what I said. When when oh. a face transplant is done, and I mean, I I get that they're not even vaguely trying to adhere to anything real in this. But when a face transplant is done, the the what the person looks like at the end is not the same as the person who the face has come from, and it's not quite the same as themselves because you've got the combination of the bone structure, the muscle composition, and then the the skin is is only part of that and it shapes around the face underneath and creates something new effectively but this is just i mean they even match up the five o'clock shadow line it's so impressive they they make travolta considerably (laughs) slimmer they do which means they also have to make cage considerably more broad as he gets made into uh, sean archer is he wearing a mrs doubtfire suit or did they literally inject that stuff he has to have it injected because he has sex with joan allen later on okay if he says i don't know which i hate wearing more your face or your body Absolutely. Yeah. If they yeah. keep it, oh my god! No, in fact, if they're keeping, was John it the Travolta's same face? Yes, I was just about oh. to say that. If they take John Travolta's face and put it in a jar full of saline solution, one presumes that somewhere there's a little bottle with the scar in it. Yeah. Um, a little, they're supposed right? to a little be jar. Because he wants later. to keep the scar. Because he, he's. He really, it's, it was really. It was really important to him, guys, that they put it back in the in the exact spot. It was a very sentimental thing. They have to put the bullet wound back. <laughs> So yes, they have it but in a fucking jar somewhere for later. If you cut out somebody's scar, guess what you leave them with? A scar! You can't just paste not scarred skin into the hole and it's suddenly gone! That's well, obviously, you can. obviously you can. We don't yes, have time so to think about it. We don't 
We don't have time to think about that because we are just copying and pasting somebody's face onto another face, just swapping the parts as if they're potato head, and we have to move on. (laughs) (laughs) One presumes then that when they say we're going to suck out the love handles, what they do is they suck it out, put it in a little Ziploc bag on the shelf. Yeah. And inject it back and then inject it into the cage. This this happens after uh, Castor Troy wakes up again from his coma. So he had to ask the surgeon specifically to put it in him. Yep. Make me look like Travolta. He had to ask for that. I want it. I want it all. I want the scar. I want the fat. And I want the face. Also, like at the end of the film, I want the crazy amount of body hair. (laughs) I want the the different penis because obviously my wife is gonna notice that shit. This movie should have been called Different Penis with the all caps with the slash. While we're here, would you like John Travolta's career? Oh heavens, no. No. At the time, he was flying high. You know, uh, both of them were. They were. They were. They were. They were both hot. But um, yeah, the, uh, the 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 cock off thing is something that uh, uh, we hate movies dwelled on for quite a while, and yeah. deservedly so, because basically, like the moment Joan Allen and this guy who is Castor Troy in in uh, Sean Archer's body are alone together and naked. She's gonna notice some things, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, if nothing else, he's gonna move differently. He's gonna smell differently. You can't change smell, and like the re- like the rest of his body is not necessarily going to smell like Sean. And uh, yeah, the dick's gonna be completely different because of the nature of what what Sean is doing. But we've never explained why this bomb that we mentioned with a timer of many many days. They've got to find out where it is. They've interrogated all the other criminals. And the only person who knows is Pollux, but he won't tell anyone apart from Castor, who's in a coma, so he has to wear Castor's face. But he doesn't have to have Castor's dick. Or does he? Or does he? (laughs) Brother, remember what we used to do? I like Pollux's (laughs) fucking voice uh, from um, Alessandro Novola. He is a... This guy is a fucking creep. He's got this weird little sing-song voice. Oh, he's the worst. Yeah, I mean, like... Wait, no, I I take it back. There's another character that's worse, but we'll get to him. Oh, Jesus, okay. It would appear that everything about their bodies has changed exactly to the hair, to the, like... When when John Travolta sings later on, because his uh, teenage goth daughter's listening to James Brown, when he sings Papa's Got a Brand New Bag, he's not kidding. He literally has <laughs> Castor oh, Troy's <laughs> nutsack. <laughs> Scrotum off. Never listen to that song the same way ever again. <laughs> <laughs> right, so huh, immediately after this, the good guy, who is now uh, Nicolas Cage... But it's John Travolta in Nicolas Cage's body. It's Sean in disguise goes to super prison. And um, not many Americans will know this reference, but Maya, I think, might, because uh, you were with us on the Red Dwarf show for season five. Um, mm. Justice. Do you remember that with the Justice boots from season yes. four? Yeah. They have these like crazy, big, yeah. like uh, referred to by the, the cat as Frankenstein hand-me-downs for the boots <laughs> yeah they're like the magnetic boots that keep them like stuck to like they can control them and make them stuck in place and it can better control the, the prison population but it also somehow allows them to track their movements at any time yeah 
Uh, in Red Dwarf, it's so that they can actually, like, frog march them back and forth to various cells, which would have been great fun to watch in this Hollywood movie. But it, <laughs> yes. it, th- just thinking about that did make me realise, like, they've got really thin, small guys in this prison. And they've also got that guy who, in uh, Devil's Advocate, was referred to as a huge hog beast by uh, Keanu Reeves, who's massive yes. and muscular. Now, one assumes these boots all hold to the floor in much the same way, which means I'm assuming they've got to be calibrated to the weakest member so that he can at least still walk, which means that the big brawny guy should have a lot less trouble moving their feet. Well, as I understand it, and it's all nonsense, but as I understand it, the, the is it the floor that becomes magnetised or the boots? It's the boots. Be the boots. Yeah. So... What they do is when they lock them down, normally they're just metal overshoes. But when they need to lock them down, they throw a switch and the boot, the electromagnet Mm. in the boots kicks in and that will anchor them to the floor. Right. So in theory, Mm -hmm. yes, they could calibrate the strength depending on the person who's wearing them. But in practice, my Bluetooth doesn't work from one side of the living room (laughs) to the other. It's not going, they're not going to be able to micro control each individual pair of boots. If you hear an alarm go off because somebody started a fight, you've got to know who they are exactly where they are and then flip the switch that locks down their particular shoes by the time you get in there to break up the fight somebody's head's going to be pounded because if everybody's locked in Mm -hmm. place you can still lean across and punch somebody in the nose also you can totally fall over and snap both ankles yes also a thing also which which looks like it almost happens to uh, nicholas cage as sean archer at one point like he falls flat on his back and is like, yeah, that and the boots painful. are still stuck to the floor. But yeah. the other thing is, if you have to, I mean, I, I'm, I'm guessing maybe they use plastic cutlery or something, but there's going to be bits and pieces of metal throughout the Stuck the to your prison. shoes all the if time. If you throw somebody's uh. electromagnetic boots and the prison guard's keys all fly across the room and stick uh, what to about, their shoes. Or like, uh, also, the magnetism will affect the metal. What about other prisoners getting each other's boots stuck to each other? Absolutely. You better I, hope I mean, nobody goes in there too. with a pacemaker. It's it would be the three-legged oh. race. It's the 87-legged race. Yeah. They're yeah. all stuck in it. Like they become a rat king of prisoners. Yeah. I didn't mean to kick him in the head, officer. He's got a metal plate in there. Yeah. Plate. Oh, God, <laughs> these boots are not worth all the trouble. No, and also, as I said to you, these the, the setup for this would be so ridiculously expensive. Everything looks battered and worn, but it wouldn't be unless they were using this across the entire prison complex. This is experimental tech. It is ridiculously expensive. They are not wasting that kind of money on these guys. Yeah. No, and also for no reason at all, when they take them in to do their weird electroshock punishment or whatever this is supposed to be, they have to then take the magnetic boots off of them, which seems like a a horrible design flaw. Because the electroshock would fry the electronics in the boots. Oh my God, of course. Why would you, oh God, like none of this makes any lick of sense, but we have to take the boots off of uh, Nicolas Cage as Sean Archer or the rest of the movie can't happen. So you just have to throw logic out the window. There's a lot of things that happen in this movie so that the rest of the movie can happen. So that the rest of the movie can happen. This was originally going to take place in the future, but then they realized that the budget would go up and up and up. So they decided to keep the budget for the effects and explosions and just had tech where it's like, just, 
believe that this is happening in 1997. Yeah, just go with it. Yeah, which I mean, I'm there fine are- with that because everything in the entire movie is just that. There are a lot of aspects of this film where it just looks cool. Like mm-hmm. we already talked about uh, Nicolas Cage's coat. There's no, there's no point to that. It just <laughs> looks cool. Then there's all the stunt uh, deals where you can see the stunt actor's face. It doesn't matter. It looks awesome. Go with it. And I think the prison is one of the the plot versions of that. Is you know what? It's cool. Who cares if it makes sense? It's awesome. Yeah, and exactly. It is, we admittedly pretty freaking awesome. <laughs> yeah, like we gotta get this character in the prison so that he can talk to the guy's brother, so that he can talk to Pollux Troy. He talked to him. He's dead now. So now we got to get him out so the rest of the movie can happen. And just just go with it. It's fine. It's all fine. It's now, not granted, just an old prison. The easier way to do that would be to ignore the boots and the magnetic whatnot super prison entirely and just have it be a prison. Just have a prison. Yeah. Well, but the, that's not John Woo. Yeah. They but build it up. He can't so- make an amazing escape and jump into this, this, like, off of this crazy high tower into a giant body of water and then try to swim to safety afterwards. Like, it is a very impressive shot. Yeah. I mean, he swims 10 miles to shore, which is pretty good after you've uh, gotten out. But it's the, the... The... Jail is so high concept that he creates, uh, the, the, the writers and Wu himself create so many like, well, you've got to do this and then this and then these are also a restriction and this is also something in his way that ca- <clears throat> the good guy then has to go through about 72 different contrivances and, well, that was lucky that that worked out just to be able to get through all of this massive obstacle course. So the irony is, somebody mentioned Verhoeven earlier and and in part, while I was watching this, I'm thinking to have this much high concept involved in just this section of the movie, really, this needs to be what the bulk of the movie is about. Mm. You put so much into it. But I would totally accept this as a 15-minute bit in a Verhoeven movie. Yeah. I mean, the yeah. boots themselves are basically like uh, the futuristic equivalent of the ball and chain they used to put on prisoners' ankles just to keep them roughly in place. You should play some of those salmon spawning scenes again. I found them intensely erotic. And do balls? You had a sex sandwich with his wife and his sister the night he was sent here. Sean Archer. Bro. I figured he might drop in on some of our old friends. And if my eyes don't deceive, I think this fellow's beginning to enjoy being you. <laughs> so Caster Troy wakes up and Nick Cage makes the first of his crazy noises like <laughs> It's it's absurd. The sounds right that he after makes. He takes two fingers and puts it to his face and pulls away some raspberry jam. Mm. He's like, they some fucker took my face. And then he calls some of his guys, and I didn't realize until mm-hmm. later when I was actually having to like pass this out, that um, Nick Cassavetes and Gina Gershon are some of his other guys that he never lets know what's going on. Like He's got two gangs, and he confides in mm-hmm. one, but not the other. The way yeah, I kind the of other. delineated it was Pollux has one gang, Sasha has another gang, mm, and suppose. never the twain shall meet. Yeah. Uh. Um, so, uh, Castor jumps to many correct conclusions, and then he gets shit done in record time. He has these two guys find everyone involved with this, bring them here, he gets a perfect face-off done to him, he gets the dick off, he gets the love handles, he gets the scar, one assumes. The, the least believable Yeah, he would bit. have to. 
Yeah, because otherwise you'd be like, where's that scar? Yeah. The mm-hmm. least believable bit in this whole, this this section for me is the speed and accuracy with which Caster comes to the correct conclusion <laughs> about what's happened. He wakes up, he's been in a coma for God knows how long. All He he doesn't know face-off technology exists. He just sees Sean's All face floating in a jar and he's like, my arch enemy. He knows his own face hurts, but he can't possibly reach the conclusion <laughs> that they peeled it off to give it to Sean Archer. I mean, if these, if the guys at the FBI were trying to do some kind of like 4D chess kind of thing, boy, they failed because Cage works it out in like no time at all. Like, uh, do, do you know how they could actually have uh, overcome this? Have him double handcuffed to his bed. That's exactly, I put that in my notes. I was like, there is no fucking way they would have this like multiple mass murderer terrorist not handcuffed to the bed and not on like 24 hour supervision. Like they would have somebody watching him at all times. Yeah. And if the budget doesn't cover somebody watching him, tell me that the budget covers $40 for a sturdy set of handcuffs. And if the budget doesn't cover that... <laughs> Not that I know how much the handcuffs cost. What are you spending <laughs> on face-off procedures that you couldn't carve a little bit out of the budget for some handcuffs and a guard? Also, what are face-off procedures for? Right, that's the thing. I'm just going to... Right, if this was a private plastic surgery hospital, that would be like outside believable but this is a clinic that the fbi owns and operates and it's how many times have they done this already it's specifically a program for exchanging faces they don't just give him a face they take one off and put it in the other it actually makes more sense this film if they put them in two the fly style pods and swap their brains like just literally have Vum, and then Travolta steps out of the other pod as uh, uh, Nicolas Cage. If they're going to remake it, and I heard they are, that makes more sense than actually physically taking the Just face off. Just make it a literal body swap movie. Right, they set this up at the beginning by showing you the hmm. ear for the agent who's had his ear cut off being 3D printed. Mm-hmm. You're telling me they couldn't 3D, 3D print, print Nicolas Cage's face. And then put it on top of Sean Archer's face without... without- Sean Archer having to have his face removed. Mission Impossible seems to have figured it out. That was one year ago. And then, like, someone says to... Clearly they're not sharing their technology. Someone says to uh, John Woo, well, Mission Impossible could do it. And he's like, tell me more about this Mission Mission Impossible. Impossible. Oh, no. I'm giving him ideas. Um, So, yeah, Caster turns up in super prison. He's like, oh, you good looking. And this is when we get to see Travolta as a villain. And he is either incredibly entertaining or just incredibly annoying. Which is it? <laughs> or is it both? First one, then the other. Yeah, it feels like... Both. Yeah. I think yeah. it's both. Yeah. He's, as again, as We Hate Movies said, he is skeet scatting around the place and pirouetting <laughs> and, and gloating and shouting and... It's like looking in a mirror, only not. Sure. Now that is between us. Okay. But you were... uh, In a coma? uh, uh, Nothing uh, like having your face cut off to disturb your sleep. I torched all the evidence that proves you're you. Okay, so, wow. Looks like you're going to be in here for the next hundred years. (laughs) I have got to go. I've got a government job to abuse. 
Lonely wife to fuck. <laughs> Did I say that? I'm sorry, I didn't say that. I didn't make love to. God, I missed that face. But by both of their um, accounts, playing a villain is more fun. Mm. And they both take Castor Troy to town. Yeah. I, I am impressed, in both their cases, at the speed which, which they recover from having God knows how much anaesthetic shot into them. Mm-hmm. God knows how what cocktail of anti-inflammatories and anti-rejection drugs, and particularly considering that we establish later on in the movie that they have different blood types, that means that there's going to have to be extra anti-rejection mm-hmm. drugs going on. Yeah. There. Both of these men should be completely off their faces for the rest of the movie. Oh, wait. And then Nick Cage is, but in entirely unrelated drugs. Absolutely. My my, my note for this was all in capitals. Oh, yes, add hard drugs to the mix. That'll help. And it did. It's incredible. Like, yeah, when he goes to this little hideout and he just starts sucking down all kinds of drugs, they put something in his drink. I'm not sure what exactly It's a tab of bad Quantrex or something. Or something. And so he goes ahead and drinks it. Well, you know, good on him. He's playing along. He's trying to blend in. But then he gets so incredibly off that he can't even, like, I'm pretty sure he doesn't even know where he is or who he is anymore. He's shouting in a mirror his own name. And it's like, what is happening? To a degree, when he first does the swap and comes around and then looks at him, his Nick Cage face in the mirror way back before he goes to super prison, and then Nick Cage reacts to the horrific sight of his arch nemesis looking back at him from the mirror and then smashes it and then starts crying. Like, that's a natural reaction. But it really seems like by this point, when he's drugged out of his head, he's just exhausted and crazed and his mind has yeah, snapped I, at this point. And I guess he, yeah. he did just break from a, a huge, high-concept, high-security prison as well. Mm. So I guess... You know, looking at his face and then pulling a gun on himself. <laughs> well, it's, it, it's... Which... To my mind, it needs more room to explore this concept. But I completely buy that from the from the very beginning of the film, Sean's identity is being chipped away at by everything that happens to him. The loss of his son... The uh, whatever's gone on in his marriage, his family has clearly been on in a state of pause for the last six years while he puts everything he's got into tracking down Troy. Janie remodelling herself in a way that upsets him. Absolutely, in a way that he Mm -hmm. can't connect with. His marriage And he can't support her when she clearly needs it. Yeah, his marriage is clearly extremely strained. He's, He's put so much of who he is into catching Castor Troy, and then he does. So that is actually going to be another huge blow to his identity. Mm. Then they change his 
face. And again, you've got all of this like physical trauma that keeps happening to him as well. That can fuck up your, your concept of your self-identity. So I totally buy that if you give him something chemical at this point, it would tip him over the edge and he literally would briefly forget who he was. What I don't yeah. buy is that he can pull it together afterwards. Exactly. Because like at this point, you just go, oh, for fuck's sake. Be a bubbling yeah. mess on the floor for the rest of this scene. Gina Gershon should have to save his ass and drag yeah. him up those stairs. <laughs> and then her character, like she doesn't say anything at all when it's like, wow, you were you were never this warm or receptive or kind to my mm-hmm. son, like at all. Like you never wanted to have anything to do with him. And now all of a sudden you're like very sweet and you're calling him a a different kid's name like what the fuck's that all about like she never questions this at all Mm. yeah when he grabs this kid he's like michael michael and like you know you're you're gonna be the replacement for my dead son and it's it's, so weird yeah how that concludes makes it even worse it really does and also Correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think Gina Gershon ever finds out yep. what's nope. happened. No, she still no, thinks it's no. Castor mm. now suddenly being a little bit more charitable. Yeah, so when she says to him, just before she fucking dies, uh-huh. take care of our son, as far as she's concerned, that's She's saying Castor. it to Castor, yeah. He fooled yeah, her. And so a terrorist, a drug dealer, supposedly, and somebody that takes them recreationally, a murderer... A pedophile from some of the uh, behavior that he's exhibited before. Yeah, just raise my son. Please. Cool. It's the only safe way. Right. If he gets handed over to the state, it's curtains for him. Anyway, uh, Castor and Eve, because in the other direction, um, Castor's kind of putting the moves on Joan Allen and kind of trying to get used to what appears to be kind of, to him, boring suburban living. So, like, he originally forgets, well, he doesn't know where they live. And then she's like, what's wrong with you? And at no point does she say, you are, like, you are not my husband. This is shocking. She's always smelling a rat, but she never really concludes correctly that he's just not that person yeah, I, I do, that's really frightening by the way I do buy that actually and I and I know we we kind of make fun of the whole she'd recognize that it wasn't his Dick. junk and I and I and I think <laughs> you know I, I said this to you before I personally think I would know if it wasn't but that's beside the point but what if he eats a peach for hours but here's the thing you'd know then because I don't need hours <laughs> In her experience, even considering that she is a doctor, what in her experience would give her reason to move to that conclusion? You are not my husband, you just have my husband's face on. Something weird has happened and your mind has snapped, yeah, but but like, Mm. why would she have reason to think that that was even a possibility? Like I said, it's so much scarier if she's like, that is not my husband, but she never enters into that possibility until... like. Feeling like that's not him, but never quite being able to understand why. Mm. This is also when Castor goes back to disarm the bomb, slightly earlier in the uh, film, and he disarms it within two seconds. And it's like, you knew where the bomb was. You knew you wanted to disarm it so that you'd get the uh, credit for it. Don't you think you'd just have scrambled a little bit earlier? Like, he's dancing around, like, tangoing with the bomb. And, like, he sent, like, there's a bomb squad going, like, professional bomb disarming guys. They're like, oh, so we can't do this. And he's like, 
Everyone get out of the building. I'm gonna dance with this bomb. Ow! And then they do, as opposed to going, okay, so you're crazy, you're gonna have to tell us what you're going to do, because chances are this will explode. Yeah, also, uh, you're not the bomb squad, we are. You are not a bomb disposal expert, you are putting everybody in this building at risk. Get the fuck out of here and let us do our job. Yeah. Yeah, how could he possibly know how to do this at all? Mm. But of course, we know because he's actually Caster Troy and he knows the secret code to actually disarm this thing. Oh, you've just disarmed me, baby. Yo, yeah. this graphic is unnecessary. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to keep the teenagers interested. I, I think the reason he leaves it till two seconds is because he knows... He's seen movies, and he knows that everyone else has seen movies. Mm -hmm. Like, all the people that he's going to convince that he's the hero. He's like, "Why well, you can't do it with, like, 12 minutes left. Psh, that's not that's, dramatic enough. Yeah, that's not dramatic enough. It if I'm been... going to be a hero, this has to be some last-minute shit. And he's like, two. Shit, well, I don't have time to re-enable it and disarm it again. Fine. Yeah, you're right, Chewie. He's he's playing the game. He's got his own uh, level of 4D chess going on. Yeah. At one point, uh, he enters the code and he goes, beep, beep, in a kind of a wrong way. And he goes, huh, and looks at it in a, oh, I really expected that to work. <laughs> I like What an unexpected midpoint of the movie um, moment if it just fucking exploded and killed him. <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, yeah, you can't get your face back, Travolta. It was vaporized. Yeah, sorry. The wall of the room where the bomb was left. Maybe we can 3D print. Oh, they all died. Yeah. Um, this is also around about the time that uh, Janie comes home with her boyfriend. And you mentioned this Danny Masterson guy, Maya. Do you, you want to go for it? Do I ever? Okay, shall, shall I go for the whole diatribe because... You promised me a, 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 a little thing about Travolta, so on. And Alex, Alex I, okay, so I, I also made you a promise. I also said that there would not be as much outrage as the uh, Ralph Breaks the Internet thing. Mm -hmm. And I would like to state on record uh, here and now that I am a liar. <laughs> okay, if you're angrier than you were at Ralph Breaks the Internet... I don't think I'm angrier than I was at Ralph Breaks the Internet, but the Danny Masterson thing is a particular thing, but I'll get to it because a lot of this does have to do with John Travolta himself. And I, I just, because this is something that now is, is a, just personally important to me, I did want to address it. Uh, Mr. Travolta, as a lot of people probably already know, has been involved with a certain organization for a very long time, for most of his life at this point. And I think, like a lot of people, I always looked at that organization as kind of a joke. Like, I saw that one episode of South Park where they make fun of L. Ron Hubbard and Lord Xenu and the aliens and the volcanoes, and yes, I thought it was funny at the time as well. Oh, that organization. Yes, that you were thinking the Shriners, but no. <laughs> I, no, I was I was literally sitting here going, "What is she talking about?" <laughs> Go on, Maya. The big S. Anyway, um, thanks to some newfound information, I have come to the conclusion that this so-called church is not a joke. Uh, I have come to understand that this organization is just a fraud. 
It's built on coercion, manipulation, extortion, and abuse of every kind. And I do mean every kind. Their practices and the basic tenets of their religion are dangerous. And yet celebrities like John Travolta, although he's certainly not alone, continue to actively participate in it, support it financially and otherwise, and defend its abominable behavior. So with all this in mind, I do feel compelled to acknowledge this troubling fact about Mr. Travolta, and while we're at it, Danny Masterson, who also, as we mentioned, has a small role in this film. Mr. Travolta, dear, dear John, <laughs> while I've enjoyed some of his work in the past, including the film we're talking about, he continues to support and advocate for an organization that has extorted millions of dollars from its parishioners, pays zero taxes on the paid services that it offers, and has destroyed families by its practices of disconnection and fair game. So I think it's important to acknowledge this and also to admit that I do like Face Off quite a bit, but it's very difficult now to separate the person the actor, from his propagation of such a deceptive and harmful organization. That brings me back to Danny Masterson. He, in the meantime, has been accused of rape by at least three women. His church, naturally, has done its best to harass and vilify his accusers, while also shielding Masterson from facing legal repercussions. As of right now, Masterson will likely suffer no punishment, or even have to stand trial, thanks to his organization using its religious status to take the case into arbitration. I don't have time to fully explain this, but it basically means that the case will be deferred back to the church, where they will certainly dismiss the charges outright, and the three women, the three victims involved in this case, sadly, will never see true justice. Mr. Travolta certainly isn't on the same level as an accused rapist, and he probably thinks of himself as a good, decent person. I don't necessarily disagree with this. I also understand, completely understand, that leaving a cult is not easy, and it's not always safe either. However, directly or not, Mr. Travolta's refusal to condemn his organization's many unconscionable acts protects people like Masterson and allows these kinds of abuse and obstruction of justice to perpetuate. It's going to take a big A-list celebrity, a John Travolta, a Tom Cruise, or an Elizabeth Moss to finally topple this sham that calls itself a religion. Celebrities like John Travolta have been involved for decades, and I get that that's hard, but they also have fame, money, power, and public goodwill. Shame on them for staying silent. Shame on them for not speaking out, for not having the willingness to just look at the overwhelming evidence in front of them. Shame on them for continuing to advocate for this organization and its deplorable, unjust practices. Let me close off by saying that if anyone listening is interested in understanding just what the heck I'm talking about or curious to learn more, I encourage doing your own research and just to throw out some recommendations. The Going Clear documentary on HBO Max, Scientology and the Aftermath, currently available on Netflix, and the Fair Game podcast are all excellent places to start. Have fun going down that rabbit hole and thank you for listening to my rant.
You know those disclaimers at the beginning of Blu-ray discs, the views expressed in the commentaries do not represent those of Warner Brothers or Universal Pictures? Well, that does not apply here. Scientology is a cult run by vicious, wealthy, cutthroat predators who ruin people's lives. Their time has come, and they can't hide behind religious exemptions. No abuse or exploitations should take them down. Set the people they've indoctrinated and held captive free. Uh, right, so Act 3, he uh, Castor as uh, Nick Cage, the good guy, turns up at the house of Nick Cassavetes and the second group of Castor's cronies, then takes the tab of bad Quantrex, wakes up with Sasha, we've already mentioned this one. And this is when Sean closes in, and there's this massive fight in this uh, safe house. And for a start, like... You've already returned to the, uh, a child, a new child, so it's like the, the idea of protecting this child suddenly becomes huge and important, which uh, weirdly ties in with the whole hard-boiled chow yun fat holding a baby. Very famous poster. This is where Nick Cassavetes, the son of John Cassavetes, uh, so the director of The Killing of the Chinese Bookie, his son directed The Notebook and a bunch of other sort of uh, much more romantic films than you would expect from this kind of guy. He's Sasha's brother, Sasha played by Gina Gershon of Bound fame, who doesn't get much to do in this. She's not important, did we already say this? She's not important aside from to be the mother of Adam. Yeah, the only reason she's really there is so that Adam can be introduced as an element. Hmm. To make it that uh, Castor has had some female relationship that didn't die in the past. When the shootout happens, Nick Cassavetes' character, this bald guy, says goodbye to his sister, and then they fucking lock lips. Okay, folks out there, do you tongue kiss your sister as a matter of course, or your brother? Because that is unusual. For that to just be, yep, yeah, this is perfectly normal in a film, and then they move forward. It's a passionate moment. Hey, sweetheart, why don't you come over here and tongue kiss your sister? Oh! <laughs> hey, sweetheart, look over here at Sugar Tits, a.k.a. the girl you grew up with. <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, in nine months you're going to give birth to a spider monkey. <laughs> I mean, no, it's, I don't it's have weird. a sister, so I, uh, but if I did, uh, no, no. <laughs> Yeah, in, in no world, no, in no world am I ever making out, like, tongue kissing with any of my brothers. Uh, just, uh, no. Yeah, this I mean. Is, I don't know what, like, why put this in here? What's the purpose of having this in this movie? The whole scene unless, is so much better if he doesn't kiss her. Unless the whole, just stepping outside of the film to try to rationalize this, the whole brother-sister thing was just a cover so, so the cops would go easy on somebody. No, I got nothing. If you if you're going uh, in that direction, you need sentence spoken in a human language. Yeah. Like, turns out he wasn't her brother, or something. But uh, yeah, that happens. It's it's a a very balletic moment. The actual the the shootout. There, it's juxtaposed the moments of extreme violence in slow motion with the soothing, sweet, melodious tones of "Somewhere Over the Rainbow." In this case, sung by Olivia Newton-John, who's John Travolta's Grease co-star. 
And it's, it's the, the kids listening on the on the headphones so that he doesn't become traumatized. He's traumatized, it's gonna folks. It's going to happen. No, I wrote down somewhere over the rainbow is not going to drown out the sound of gunfire. You need to get that kid some dubstep stat. Like a girl dies in front of him from a gunshot to the stomach. Yeah, that kid's and ruined in the head. I think dubstep would probably make it worse, though, because yeah. then you've got to. Don't be scared, all right? All right? starts vibrating. I think my yeah, favorite is re-traumatized. My favorite <laughs> moment of this entire fight is like everyone's like leaping around the place. There's one almost throwaway moment where one of uh Caster's boys or one of these gang guys, this one hood leaps sideways to keep shooting at the police. But rather than leaping past this glass screen, he literally <laughs> leaps through a glass screen, not away from bullets. He leaps into gunfire, like through something that would almost certainly kill you. Like, like we've said this before, and whenever we do, uh, Taylor Nova mentions that they went through a glass screen one time and nearly died as a result of it. The glass tends to stay in one place. And uh, like you, you tend to get you very badly messed up. And it's just it's the the absurdity of this guy going check this out, boom, and then literally throwing himself through a glass window just so that he can get a surprise shot at the cops during a chaotic gunfight where no one's going to be surprised at anything. It's crazy. But as we my ain't... favorite part of this entire shootout before the mirror scene, mm -hmm. which is a whole other thing. But my favorite part of this is when what, Dietrich, the bald guy who, you know, makes out with his sister mm -hmm. in the middle of this gunfight where cops are rushing in from every angle and people are dying. He stops and he goes, damn, damn it, my place, my place is, getting is getting fucked, fucked up. up. And I was like, <laughs> really? It's a neat way of illustrating that uh, all this property dam damage does have repercussions. But then he gets shot <laughs> sure. in the back of the head by Castor. <laughs> Somebody's losing the no claims discount off his insurance premium. See, I don't get why Castor yeah. shot him in the back of the head at that point. Because it's like, if he's defending Castor Troy, if anything, Castor should be like, ah, oh, you're defending me. That's so sweet of you. Like, you don't know what he's Sean Archer. What tripped me out about that whole scene is that it looked like he was aiming at a child carrying Gina Gershon. Yeah. And her brother just happened to get in the way. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, that's and true. I, He's like, I've always wanted to kill Sasha and that boy of hers. Yeah, I've never been able to make that one scene of him aiming down the the barrel at uh, Sasha make any sense in in the context of the rest of the movie. Especially considering that maybe he felt bad about it. Question at the beginning. Clearly, he didn't because he's like round two. Yeah, because it's not like he couldn't see the kid in her arms. Mm -hmm. He could. It, it was obvious. It showed it from his perspective. And I'm like, what? What? Yeah. I don't know. As We Hate Movies pointed out, this is the perfect finale 
to this movie. Like it's got it's like loads of glass flying everywhere, and there's a lot of like uh, shooting. It's the usual John Woo stuff. Although we wouldn't get the boat scene, but that culmination of them back to back like each against a grand mirror so that then when they launch back outwards and point guns at each other they're pointing it at themselves and they're pointing at their arch enemy and then like that's the bit where they shoot and John Travolta gets shot by Nick Cage whose shot rings a bit truer possibly just because John Travolta is a slightly wider target <laughs> that's the bit why does a mirror have less symbolic significance in this movie than a speedboat <laughs> And I like the speedboat. Excellent question. I just, I wonder whether you could get the speedboat in earlier and still do that sequence and then end it here with this mirror section. But, uh, yeah, that's, like, that's in, what they In chose. my head, that mirror section is way longer. But in the film, it's like a minute and a half, maybe. If that. Yeah, it, for if, some reason, yeah. it feels longer. And I guess that's the symbolic significance that it carries. Plus, it was in... All the trailers. As uh, Maya mentioned, the, the whole Masterson thing happened earlier. This is where um, Masterson's character is is like is basically about to rape Janie in her driveway, mm. and it's like that is that's a really fucking dicey move. But it does set up uh, Chekhov's butterfly knife. Yeah, um, it's not a butterfly mm. knife in the UK. It was uh, it's just a knife. It's just a knife. Oh, yeah. They can show it I, closed. I remember... They can show it open, but they can't show it opening. The BBFC cut those bits out. It's a ninja. I remember pen. seeing you guys, uh, you know, write about that on the Discord, and I was like, "Oh my god, seriously? Like that's still mm -hmm. a thing? Wow!" Yep. It happened in 1997, and the uh, 2007 print that this came from, which one would assume they'd just have gotten the American print and put it on a disc for distribution in Europe. Mm. Nope. They, Apparently not. They either recut it just for the UK so they wouldn't have to resubmit it to the BBFC to mimic the original cuts in the uh, theatrical release, or it was its own master. We don't know. I, I, I just know that that oh. rescanning a film from an interpositive takes a lot of money, a lot of effort, and uh, you know, it's, it's it's a lot just to remove a bit of butterfly knife. So it's it's a strange mm -hmm. choice, but. Either way, we are like our teenagers are still safe from being fascinated with this. Uh, I, I remember actively buying a butterfly knife in France out of curiosity because this was cut out. I was like, so why do you hate butterfly knives so much? That's bizarre. Yeah, I have no answer for that, really. <laughs> Like I said, though, it, it, I suspect it's in part because if kids managed to get hold of them and started trying to figure out how to do all the flipping and swinging... You'll put your eye out. Either that or they'll lose a finger. <laughs> Maybe so. There's, a, there's the nunchuck rule, which is mainly because kids tend to bonk themselves on the head with homemade nunchucks, which are way too easy to fabricate. Most of the laws in Britain around um, weapons, when they get changed, it's in response to something. It's because there's been a rash of a certain kind of um, violence or there's there's concern about a specific thing that's just happened. Was there a rash of headbutting? Because headbutting was cut out of many action movies in the 90s. <laughs> it was. I don't know. Maybe there was. Just, was it drive-by headbutts? <laughs> 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 oi, mate, oi, mate, mate, oi, 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 roll down your window. Okay. When did... Uh, Didn't expect that, did you, you fucker? <laughs> when Yikes. did American wrestling drop in the UK? I don't know. Now um, we know where they got the inspiration for that scene in Hereditary. 
Never oh mind. yeah. Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah, but like she also saws her own head off. Like that. That's tricky. Like well done. <laughs> that's almost impressive. I couldn't even get started when I tried to do that. <laughs> Anyway, mainly because my mom came in the room and was like, "Stop that!" Okay, <laughs> stop sawing your own head off. That's like my one rule. Okay, so um, Sean Archer Chewie, is. Chewie, are you in there trying to saw your own head off? <laughs> <laughs> I'm no. sawing my own head off, Mom. I don't care. Go to bed, for God's sake! You have school in the morning. I, I, his, Hereditary is imitatable. You don't go to bed right now and stop trying to play with that butterfly knife and cut off your own head. (laughs) (laughs) The most likeliest of scenarios. Okay, so Sean Arch has been voted Times Man of the Year, which is often like something like a head of a CIA or an FBI, like an anti-terrorist unit will become Man of the Year. And he also, um, because it's 1997, (sighs) <sighs> he gives an open challenge, because it's Castor Troy, to all terrorists the, uh, that America's got the bull. Sorry, and, like, America is on top, and any ter- acts of terrorism, America will intercept. Yeah, we, we had a lot of hubris in the 90s. It was a more peaceful time. But he kills his boss, Victor Lazaro. Okay, Victor's like, you're finished, Archer! And then he's like, right, judo chop! And then, like, elbows him in the heart. I'm like, you're cutting butterfly knives out of this thing? Those two seem very imitatable. Yeah, he takes, like, he takes advantage of the fact that he's having some kind of a heart attack or something at the time. Yeah, he just just facilitates the uh, heart attack's acceleration. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, uh, effectively, this gives us a funeral for the end, which is just soaking in Catholic imagery. And this is when um, John has been very... Uh, withholding so far. They're very self-restrained regarding doves, but he just packs doves into this funeral. They're just just doves everywhere. everywhere. Honestly, like, the doves became quite tropey for him, but I feel like it was totally worth it so that Agent Smith in uh, the second Matrix movie could emerge and with Mr. Anderson with crows flying in slow motion instead. That just feels like it was totally worth it for the symbolic reversal. Mm. See, I think mm. he missed a trick because he always does doves and doves always look weird because it's like, would doves really be there? How many doves did you have to get in boxes? Just use pigeons. They're everywhere. Yeah, well, the choir boy just singing this, just finished singing This Is What It Sounds Like When Doves Cry. And everyone was grooving out to that. It was 1997. And so they had to include doves. This is what it sounds like when pigeons cry. Why why not just go the whole hog and fill the church with rats? (laughs) In slow motion, rats. Here's here's the funny thing, though, is that first it starts it starts outside with like the seagulls, and I forgot about the doves. So I was like, oh, they traded the doves for seagulls, but then they move inside, and I was like, oh wait, nope, there are the doves. And then fast forward a few minutes later, and there are pigeons. (laughs) So triple threat. Nice seagulls, doves, pigeons, rats, raccoons, warthogs. Are they feral hogs? <laughs> feral, yeah, 50 <laughs> to 60 of them. Wait, wait, and just for good measure, a wildebeest. A wildebeest, just the one. Didn't want to have one. a stampede. <laughs> <laughs> we did it! We did it! We broke Sharon. Everybody check off the uh, We Broke Sharon off their, uh, we hate movie, uh, sorry, we lost the School of Movies bingo card. 
We hate right school now. of movies bingo card. Yes, go. We ahead. hate school of movies. <sighs> okay. <laughs> Okay, so uh, let's just uh, fast track us to the end here because we are just heating up. Boom. Okay, so uh, Sean, uh, by the way, in the vo- in the body of Castor, finds Eve and does the whole blood test thing to prove that he's uh, really Sean in uh, Nick Cage's body. And honestly, oh, it feels like uh, Joan Allen as um, Eve should be like, Dude, seriously. Like, I knew already because uh, he had some moves, if you know what I mean, that uh, I was like, oh, this is nice. Sean's never done this before. And uh, I'm kind of disappointed, frankly. So uh, I'm going to have to get you to just take some notes from uh, from what I've learned of this particular experience. Yeah, you know how Here. your your jaw just locks up whenever you try to, uh, and she motions downward. He uh, was down there for hours. Hours. Yeah. Here, here's a peach. Practice. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway. But yeah, I mean, it's it's fucking creepy because we're basically like, she's, uh, that's very non-consensual rape. Yeah, I was just going to say, he's been raping her all week. Mm -hmm. Uh, She even says to Cage Archer... We've been living as husband and wife for weeks. And he's like, oh, no. And I like the way that that's a very understated way of saying what Sharon literally just said. Yeah. I feel so and the bad fact that, for Joan Allen at this point. Yeah. And the fact that he admits, like, hey, I put you in that situation. So you do not have to feel guilty about this. FYI. That is true. That is a classy move on on this movie's part. They uh, it is. They treat Caster when he's pretending to be Sean like a scallywag when he is in fact evil incarnate, but at least they don't blame victim blame Joan Allen's uh Eve. No. Yeah. This movie has a lot of for as over the top and, and bizarre as it is, it has a lot of things where it just pulls back. Like in the the, the actual facing offing face offing scenes. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't linger on the gore Verhoeven at all. You done just it. get like a little <laughs> quick true. little whoop whoop or out of focus shot in the background or in a reflection. It's not mm-hmm. like oh, get a load of this, eh? Yeah. Oh. But on the flip side, <laughs> on the flip side, Nicholas Cage licks three people. So. Oh yeah, yeah. Whether in various bodies, he's just licking cheeks. <laughs> Accurate. He's a degenerate cheek licker. Pull back on everything. <laughs> who eats peaches for hours. Right. Makes people suck his tongue. <laughs> and, like, and he gets thrown shirty if they're not grateful about it. Okay, so but the was Nick it? Cage delivery on the uh, uh, the the story about the broken tooth was actually kind of sweet, and actually, like, it stops the movie dead for some drama. And uh, again, this is why Nick Cage kind of does better than Travolta throughout most, because Travolta doesn't get to do much of that, and when he does, it's a bit drippy. Mm. Yeah. The the blood typing thing, I think the, the story ultimately brings it home more than the blood typing thing does, mm-hmm. which does make sense because unless, like, he, when he turns up and says to her, check the blood because I'm O and uh, Caster Troy is AB. AB. And unless she knew that already, he could tell her anything. Uh-huh. I'm sure she knew her husband's blood type. My mom knows my blood type. Yeah, I don't even she, know my blood type. She knows the yeah. old man's blood type. Like, that's could he thing not simply for... whip out his dick and go, do you recognize this? 
Because <laughs> one assumes well, he, he didn't have Travolta's dick put on. Like, uh, but then Kate's again, dick. he does later, like after she does the blood test, he also is like, hey, I know this story of our first date that nobody else would know. Hmm. It's like, you could have led with that, Yeah, dude. that's what Honest Trailer said. The, uh, it's, it feels like she was pretty much ready to believe it because she had been smelling a rat for a while. Mm. But, um, yeah. Smelling a cage. Smelling a cage. But, mm. uh, yeah, it, it feels like, um, like she doesn't need much more persuasion at this stage. But it's, it's, I, it's just more of a case of, like, the growing horror of what a fucking violation this is. Like, she doesn't want to be right about this. Yeah. Uh, so there's a Mexican standoff uh, at the funeral, and everyone has conveniently left. And it has extremely vague logistics. I don't know if you, like, watch... The tracking for everyone's guns, uh, it's not really clear who's shooting anyone, but it seems like Sasha is not particularly of in major danger, but like she's just like trying to get Joan Allen out of the way, and she's like the prime target. Meanwhile, like Nick Cage falls backwards in a kind of a like, this looks cool, like I'm just gonna sort of hold my guns crosswise and fall over backwards like fucking reverse Dracula rather than trying to <laughs> deliberately shoot these people quick um, so that they don't shoot my wife. And weirdly, oh, Sasha becomes kind of, <laughs> again, Sorry. as you said, Sharon, she thinks that Castor is Castor. So she's not trying to sh save Sean's wife. And yet she does anyway, which doesn't actually make that much Somebody sense. Somebody tells her that they've, that he's, I think he... They've switched he, over yeah, and she just says, and I'm bored in a kind of a, I, we actually don't have time for me to fathom all of this. Yeah. So, so therefore her next few actions make no sense Make whatsoever. no sense whatsoever. Mm -hmm. At least Adam's not there. That would yes. have just ever been plus. extra crazy. <laughs> but honestly, the amount of people all holding guns at each other just reminds me of that bit in uh, Shaun of the Dead where um, <laughs> yeah. Lucy Davis says, like, this isn't exactly fair, and gets given a corkscrew. Thank you. Um, just so that like, there's, there's more people in this thing. But again, it feels like Joan Allen is in the middle, completely defenseless. Gina Gershon, Gershon shoves her, and she shoves her into a really like awesome, dramatic... Um, wide shot of like hitting Castor Troy with a chair, so like she teleports. It's cool. It's fine. Um, but like you know, again, considering that John Woo is a uh, one of the greatest action directors ever, it just feels like. And then they all fire their guns, and then this is the aftermath, rather than tracking what actually happens in that sequence. The geography of that scene mm. is a bit what. And then weirdly, like uh, Cage, the good guy, is strangling John Travolta with a gun. He's like. And it's like, th there's other things you could do to make him die than strangling him with a, a micro Uzi. And this is around about the time when uh, Dominique Swain makes her big heroic finale appearance with the butterfly knife and the face licking again. Yeah, yeah uh, she's like, hey, I just saved my dad. Wait, my dad just grabbed me and is saying some really fucked up stuff. And then he licked me. What the yeah. fuck? Gross. Yeah. I, I really feel bad for... Like I feel bad for, like you said earlier, all the women in this movie, but this one, especially at that particular moment, mm -hmm. because what? Like from her point of view, that's her dad. What? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So she, she goes with her instincts, which is, twist. well, you told me to shove it in the leg and twist and then does yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, at the same time, like, isn't. Like, she gets a bit of an idea because Castor's shouting, it's me, 
you know, I'm really your your like. Listen, has he already had his throat hit at this point yeah, because he's yeah, now yeah, talking like Travolta? Yeah. Okay. So that follows up on the whole: a, a hard sneeze could dislodge this microchip that can perfectly replicate Caster's voice. Again, as we've said before, Mission Impossible had already been doing this, and it just feels like a, a rubber mask or a uh, like just say the most sophisticated mask system in the world would be fine without actually having to cut the whole face off. Like, you could still then have, like, a, a mask for John Travolta, but it just, it feels like, like, you know what um, uh, Black Widow has in uh, Winter Soldier? Yeah, she, to make herself look mesh. like Jenny Agatha. Shut up! Honey, don't listen to him, honey. He's not your father. Hear my voice. I'm your father! The scumbag shot your brother, Jamie! Kill him! Claude. <laughs> no daughter of mine can so wide. Dad, put the gun down. Put it down. Now we're gonna find out what's in Papa's bag. Peaches. <laughs> Say goodbye to Papa. So, like I said, we've now left the mirror scene far in the past to back in Act, the end of Act Three, and now we're at the end of Act Four. The, uh, the, the you know, the standard uh, for action movies. It's uh, the, you know, the the symbolism of killing your uh, hated enemy with a spear gun before he can disfigure your face by disfiguring himself. And then there's that fantastic. From Nick Cage, who again was like, "This is what I'm going to be from now on." Just screeching. <laughs> That's totally oh the whale killing, though, isn't it? Killing him with a harpoon. Yeah, I mean, like, just yeah. call him Ahab. But following this, he tells the Doctor when they're doing the swap back after he has, like, he's getting his caster's dead face put back on him. No, wait, Sean's dead face put back on him. Uh, yeah. um, and he's like, I won't need my scar anymore because he's now gotten over the horrendous scenario. He's got all new trauma to uh, to deal <laughs> yeah. with. Yeah, I just don't need that little scar that was on my chest mm. anymore. You can throw that away. But yeah. uh, since and you've scarred my going... dick already, <laughs> I guess you could just leave that. Uh, <laughs> I love that that doctor has to be going... The fuck is he talking about? Well, yeah, yeah he's a brand doctor new doctor. Everyone who knew anything about this person. is dead. That scar yeah. was in a bottle on a shelf that has now been burned down. He couldn't have it back if he wanted. Either to. that, or one of the interns <laughs> ate it, thought it was jerky. Oh, uh, jerkier than usual, y'all. This is an outrage. I was going to eat that scar, so <laughs> I had my name on it. Did you see the post-it note? I put it in the fridge. I had a little post-it note on it. Come on. Right next to the Come dead on, dove. So, uh. <laughs> I don't know what I expected in a John Woo movie. Sean then brings home a child. Do you folks want to just talk about why this is so wrong in like 15 different ways? Yo, okay. What the... Okay. 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 Hold on. I need to like warm myself up for this because what the fuck... Okay. So, first of all, replacement son... Oh yeah. What? Uh, th sure, that's not going to require uh, decades of therapy or anything to sort out that shit. Um, replacement son that just kind of gets very conveniently slotted into Michael's place. Archer does not discuss any of the logistics of this or anything with his wife and his other child at 
all before making this decision. Wrote that down too. And I was mm-hmm. like, how did just, how do you not what? You don't bring home a just, puppy as a surprise. No, he just shows up with him and is like, hey, this is our son now. Okay? And then for some reason, Jonel is just like, oh yeah, okay. Like, no! He says, hey, but how about you go uh, show uh, Adam his new his new room? And it's like, yeah, the shrine. Yeah. Uh, Sean, our dead child's clothes are still in there. Seriously? What it, uh, did you, what were you going to do if I said no? Take him back? It's so weird that, like, like, how did they not discuss this beforehand? Like, he would have brought this up before just showing up with a new kid. Also, even if he did, the whatever authority is in charge of the fostering and adoption of children who have been brought into state's care because their criminal parents are both dead, who signed off on the idea that this child is now going to be raised... <clears throat> By the man who killed his father. Uh, d- the assume- man whose father <laughs> killed his son. His son. I just, just, the, the... It's, it's notable unbelievable. that uh, this Adam's father killed his mother as well. I'm assuming that if you adopt a child, you also get, like, social worker visits and they sit yes. down. So they'd have to have this in their notes and go... Oh boy. Uh, yeah. Adam, that in any big bad dreams? Red pen. Like, <laughs> holy shit. How you getting on here? Um, I'm barely verbal. Yeah. I get dreams of Olivia Newton John shooting people. Oh, God, I have those <laughs> dreams too, but anyway. Oh boy. Just mowing them down with semi automatic machine gun fire. Yeah, this, this scenario that they end on. I, I'm I just I am not a specialist it's, in child development, but I am going to go out on a limb and say it. This is not good for anybody in that house, right. including Adam. And they, they, this is supposed to be a happy ending. Like this is supposed to be like the uplifting, like oh everything is okay now, guys. Uh, it probably wouldn't have been quite as bad if uh, Sean had gotten to know Adam, and Adam was old enough to be able to clearly know a thing or two. And was like, yeah, I guess my dad kind of hates me. And he's like, oh, why does your dad hate me? And he's like, because I was a mistake or something. Like, just something which allowed mm. the two of them to bond. But, like, of course, he'd believe he was talking to his dad. So then he'd be like, uh, I kind of think, I, I thought that you hated me. And he's like, no, I don't hate you. And just, like, something which makes this kid talk. And it's like, I need to make sure this kid is protected. But instead, he's just a symbolic baby. He may as well be the one from Hard Boiled. <laughs> Just, uh, folks, uh, Google hard-boiled baby. Do not Google uh, maybe hard-boiled don't Google baby. Hard-boiled baby. Um, I was about to say, some of the results on that might be quite troubling. Not at all. It's actually straight away Chow Yun-Fat holding a baby and a shotgun. Just don't scroll oh. past the first page there. <laughs> okay, and, fair enough. Yeah, okay. And then a baby eating hard-boiled eggs. I mean, that's just cute, folks. And then hard-boiled eggs that someone has molded into the shape of a baby. I tried to warn you. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, I mean, that's face-off. And Travolta comes back, and he's fine now, and he's ready to move on. And as we said earlier, his goth daughter has been cured of her gothness by her trauma. She's now fine again. She's 
been so cured of her gothness that the nose ring is gone and there is no piercing hole in her nose. Oh, seriously? It's visible. They clearly shot that scene before they shot everything else. Oh, wow. Or they just got one of, like, the little fake removable ones. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, good point. She could, yeah. Oh, she's a fucking poser. She didn't even have the balls to do it all the way. She just got a fake one. This piece of shit. <laughs> it's because she was just acting out. Hang on. She was just acting out to piss off her uh, negligent father. Yes. Yes. The next Maybe. step was peel off tattoos. Bitches. Like, we really needed to have her say at some point in the middle of the movie, Dad, your half-assed over-parenting is worse than your half-assed under-parenting. <laughs> Can we just go back to <laughs> the time? Can my whole ass? <laughs> Wee! <laughs> Can we just go back to the time when you would just go to work all night and I never had to see you? Yeah. Yeah, so that's Don't face-off, folks. And it's been fun. It's been fun on this uh, particular crazy journey. And you know when they say they don't make them like this anymore? They really don't. No, they kind of don't. I mean, this is a scenario of, like, it's so bad, it's great Mm. movie. Like, not just good. It's great. Like like I said before, I genuinely enjoy this movie. It's, It's hella terrible. It makes absolutely no sense. Bonkers. Completely illogical, but I love it. Mm. I completely forgot the face-off surgeon is played by the beige wallpaper of movies, Colm Fjord. We talk about him a little bit more on our Chronicles of Riddick episode coming later this year. Admit it, you forgot he was in this as well. You might not even know who I was talking about. He was going to play Vulture at one point. And honestly, I prefer the kind of movie they now make instead of it... By far, because they tend to be like sharper and funnier and less rapey, less rapey, they're less troublesome in general than everything made 40, 30 years ago. But um, I'm glad that this era worth of films exists to entertain us. Although it's worth noting, by the way, regarding troublesome, that when I first saw this in 1997, I was was torn between which is the best film of the year? Is it Face Off or is it LA Confidential? And then later I was like, well, Jerry Maguire, that's actually my favourite film of the era. But then Jerry Maguire was actually released in 1996 in America, which also I found out much more recently, Kubi Gooding Jr. is troubling. That almost ruins the movie for me. The Fifth Element then, but then Luke Besson. LA Confidential, but then Kevin Spacey, uh, Face Off, Danny Masterson, John Travolta, Tom Cruise star, Jerry Maguire is a massive Scientologist, Jackie Brown, Harvey Weinstein, Quentin Tarantino, Good Will Hunting, Weinstein again. And everything's troublesome. And, and like, we could probably do an, a completely other two-hour podcast on separating the art from the artists and mm. actors and, and whatnot. And I say, like, if, you, if you're if you okay with that, like, so, like, I watched this and I have major issues with uh, Travolta and Masterson being, especially because of what Masterson does in the film mm. itself. Like, Oh God, is it creepy to watch that now, knowing what um, you know the allegations against him were? But I, you know, it's kind of it's up to the individual person. Some people are able to separate that kind of stuff. Some people are not. Sometimes it depends on what the problem or what the allegation is. So. Yeah. Where I've settled on at the moment is like we watched Ella Confidential a few weeks ago and it was like, this is great, Kevin Spacey. This is great. This is great, Kevin Spacey. This is mm-hmm. great, Kevin Spacey. Oh, Kevin Spacey's dead. 
<laughs> here on out, everything is fine. Cool. And I, I'm inclined to, to say similar to Maya. I mean, I've said this before. Everybody's got their own line at the end of the day. And I don't think it's... Um, the only thing that I get a little bit frustrated by is when somebody has drawn their own line and said, I can't watch this because that per- what that person did is is beyond the pale for me. And then people pile on them and say that they're being unfair. Well, no, that's their line. They've made that decision. You need to give them the space to yeah. do that. And it is a personal thing, especially when it's like, you know, say... LA Confidential was your favorite movie and then all of this stuff with you know it's it's hard when it's like um like I would equate it to something like people that grew up with the Harry Potter books or people that grew up with Woody Allen films something that was like almost part of your identity it's a lot harder to kind of separate that and and look at it in a sort of objective it's difficult it's it's not easy to do um and it also hurts more which is unfortunate just to bring us back to the the film itself please do i have to disagree slightly when you say that the movie is so bad it's great like at just from a filmmaking perspective it's really well done it's just that the the story (laughs) Yeah, is well, that is so cockamamie. That's that mostly you, what I mean. That's mostly what I mean. At all, it falls apart completely, as you can tell from the previous however long this episode is. Two been. hours. <laughs> no, but, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. The filmmaking holds up. The logic does not. But like, just in case, like, I don't want people to get the wrong idea. It's one of those so bad it's good. Not not in the way like the room is so bad it's good. That's a whole True. different. Yeah, that's that's a different. That's incompetently made. Shit. But that's that's a mm-hmm. nanar. That's that's a special version of so bad it's yeah. good. Yeah. But like John Woo is a hell of a director. Very competent director. Mm. Yes. Could definitely Amazing block director. a scene. The acting for especially <laughs> the over the top bits. Yeah, I said it. Are just the best. Oh, it's entertaining as hell. Yeah, when, like when Nicolas Cage loses his entire shit again, he, I, I am here for it. No, it's it's great. I mean, I was even I was even telling my husband last night when we rewatched it. I was like, you know, this movie, like in my humble opinion, this movie's not good, but boy, is it entertaining. Boy, yeah. is it fun to watch. You know, like, and I don't even necessarily think the acting is that great, but they're so watchable. They're so enjoyable. School of Movies is brought to you by the Patreon and the good people who throw in some dollars every month. And we promise not to spend it all on dinosaur skulls. Actually, that's a lie. It's the only thing we spend it on. But a huge thank you to our high rollers. Aaron Lecluse, Abel Savard, Alex Brewington, Angus Lee, Benjamin Hoffer, Brian Novak, Cassandra Newman, Chris Finnick is scraping at the Christopher Wolf, Kieran Datchler, Connor Kennedy, Dan Mayer, that was really cool by the way, Daniel Salguero, Call Me High, Dan Hepner, Dave Hickman, David Sheely, it never just goes away, Finbar Nicole, Frankie Punzi, Greg Downing, I love you! Jameis Enright, Jesse Ferguson, Joe Crow, Joel Robinson, Johan Clayson, Joe G, Josh Wasta, Kat Esman, Darlin, Kevin Vahey, Lorraine Chisholm, Matthew A. Siebert, and Matthew Webb, Michael Hasco, Robbie Crow, Sarah Montgomery, Timu 
Hellas Hayo, Tim Rosensky, I'm a chemical super freak actually, Timothy Green, Toby Skills Jungius, not the bees, oh, oh, oh my eyes, Tom Painter, Trey Contreras, mm. Valencia Burns, how to get burned, how to get burned, how to get burned, I don't know, I am now exhausted, and if you haven't checked out Patreon yet by the way, you are missing out on a raft of bonus content. Recently we've had after school clubs on The Hunt, Snake Eyes and Love and Leashes. We've ranked the first 30 MCU villains. We covered The Lost City, All Things Must Pass, The Rise and Fall of Tower Records, Devilman, Fist of the North Star, Cyrano, The 2021 Mortal Kombat, Scream 5, West Side Story, Death on the Nile, Uncharted, Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City, Licorice Pizza, and Just This Weekend Gone, available now to listen to for everyone at $5 and up, Top Gun Maverick. Support your favorite podcast and also get hundreds of bonus shows. This week, to round off the Rage Cage season, our after-school club will be two, not one, but two, mystery Nick Cage movies. Stay tuned to the end of this episode for a snippet from one of the three times that I guested on That Awful Sound, an amazing, now gone, music podcast that also talked about Sean Mullen's Lullaby, because every week they talked about one awful song from the past. On this episode, I was on talking about the Goo Goo Dolls, Iris, because it was used in the Nicolas Cage movie, City of Angels. And the complete podcast versions of all three of my appearances can be found on our Patreon $5 bonus feed. And that will about do it for Face Off and the Rage Cage season. Before we go to our esteemed guests, where can the good people at home find your best stuff? Uh, we'll start with Chewie. Ooh, ooh, I... Well, I'm, I'm starting. I've been in, in the planning stages for several months now. Uh, an MCU, like, retrospective video series. I'm going to look back at each film individually. But that takes planning and, and work and writing that I haven't ironed out how to do it. Because this is a whole new thing for me. But in the meantime, uh, I've got a series of YouTube videos from the Hitman video game series where I... I'm digging for the frankly ridiculous Easter eggs that are hidden throughout uh, Hitman, a game that is ostensibly set in reality, but like there's a Kraken that'll eat a boat and skeletal hands that'll come out of a crypt and, and paw at you. And a cardboard Godzilla will pop up from behind the mountains over there and stomp across. <laughs> and the giant cockroach in Thailand, like just all of that. The first of those videos is up already. And I'm using these as well, one, because I think they're awesome, but also as like editing practice for music and the visual uh, joke editing and whatnot that I'm not quite comfortable with for the MCU movies just yet. So yeah, watch my Hitman videos. Those are the things that I am most proud of at this minute. And I stream all the time on twitch.tv slash the pool. And Maya. Well, hello. Um, hello. You can find me on Twitter at Maya Santadrea. You can find me on Instagram at the stunt lady. It's mostly pictures of my dogs these days, but occasionally I will post photos of from myself behind the scenes or, or something that I've been working on. And speaking of things I've been working on, you can see me in various forms and another in both uh, the Disney Plus slash theatrical release of 
Jungle Cruise. You can also see me in The Suicide Squad, which is on HBO and in theaters. And on HBO, be on the lookout for Doom Patrol Season 3, which should be coming out very soon. And we will be back, as always, next week. Uh, Until then, I've been Sharon Shaw. I've been Alex Shaw. And school's out. She grew up with the children of the stars. In the Hollywood Hills and the Boulevard. Her parents threw big parties. Everyone was there. They hung out with folks like Dennis Hopper and Bob Seger and Sonny and Cher. She feels safe now in this bar on Fairfax. And from the stage I can tell that she can't let go and she can't relax. And just before she hangs her head to cry. I sing to her a lullaby. I see what you did there. <laughs> that, was, that was good. That was oh, good. sneaky, sneaky Sharon and Alex. <laughs> we swapped faces just for that. You couldn't see, but it happened. We Did you hear the <laughs> sound? <laughs> I didn't, but that was an amazing uh, vocal swap that you did. So, hey, <laughs> the surgery went well. well good th- as long as neither of us work. sneezes violently, we'll be up. She still lives with her mom outside the city Down that street about a half a mile And all her friends tell her she's so pretty She'd be a whole lot prettier if she smiled once in a while Even her smile looks like a frown She's seen her share of devils in this angel town Rock-a-bye, rock-a-bye
we get a couple like uh moving shots through this library while Nick Cage is strolling through and it's just this horrific creepy cultish scene where everybody is reading to themselves the humans are reading to themselves mm -hmm. and each human has an angel right next to him or her with his or the angel's ear pressed up against the head of oh. the person who's reading to themselves just to hear their thoughts reading to and i thought it was going <laughs> and i thought it was going to be something like i mean that that's creepy there's no there's no way to pass that off as not being creepy but i thought it was going to be something like oh they can't touch a book they can't pick up a book and and read it themselves so they have to like they wouldn't be able to turn the page because they can't interact with the world on a physical I'm assuming they can go to the movies <laughs> yeah no but, thought reading required it's all right there for you but i mean aren't you know over in two hours less time intensive you can then carry on helping people who are about to die but literature man you got to get the richness of of mm. literature uh, and, and invading other people's ability like everyone reads in a different way and it's like yeah i, I like the way this person reads i'm gonna have my own personal unbidden audiobook exactly exactly like each of these angels picks their favorite like they pick their favorite person to just you're gonna be my reader yeah. <laughs> oh god but but later on in, in the in the movie nick cage leaves a book on uh meg ryan's nightstand at home so he can clearly touch this book and pick up physical objects so this whole idea that he's not allowed to touch her or that he can't feel anything is is totally bullshit like it makes no logical sense within the movie Again, the full version of this is available on our Patreon. And although that awful sound has been retired, the host, Alexander Edwards, is still retaining the files on his website, thatawfulsound.com. But I heartily recommend you check out his more recent political podcast, Minion Death Cult, which talks about how your Mimar's Facebook page and all those fun little minions has left a huge chunk of America that watches Fox News open to all sorts of manipulation. Yeah, that's fine. I'm just going to sit and watch you for hours. There's one bit in the film which actually turned up in this WMV when, like, Meg Ryan's in the bath getting all sweaty and it cuts to, like, you know, it pans out and she goes all fuzzy because it goes into focus on Nick Cage sitting in a room that beside her going, Ugh! and he's practically going with his collar, nyang, nyang, nyang. Oh, that part I shouldn't is... be watching this. I'm such a bad angel. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm doing it again. <laughs> That that part is is there's rules, second. you know. We're supposed to give them their alone time. Yeah, what? Where are the rules? Where where are his where are his supervisors? Who's watching this guy? I think this guy is. But then his friends should be saying, you know, the rules. No sex, okay? When they're doing it, you gotta turn your eyes away. You gotta leave the room, okay? At least go to the next room. Yeah, or God. Where's God in all of this? I I need I need a, a gigantic arm to just reach down and grab Nick Cage by the scruff of his neck and yank him away and and just you know like like a little slap on the nose with a newspaper. You know, it would only makes sense if it's the god from Monty Python and the Holy Grail. What are you doing, Nick Cage? Just the one that looks down from the clouds. Just someone who's not going to take any of his shit. Yeah. Uh, but but that scene, though, is is perfect. I posted that scene on my Insta, my personal Instagram. Because, yeah, he's watching her bathe, and he's listening to her thoughts, and she's actually remembering meeting him. Because there is a, there is a meet cute, but it's more like a meet creep. He's waiting, <laughs> he's, he's waiting in the hallway 
of her hospital after visiting hours. He's not going anywhere. He's not doing anything there. He's just standing in the hallway waiting for her. And she comes up on him. The lights are off. Nobody else is there. And she somehow finds him, like, attractive in this moment. So she's fantasizing about this meeting in in the bathtub and oh that's why he's got i haven't seen it in a while that's why he's got i'm a bad angel i shouldn't be enjoying this so much (laughs) right and she's she's thinking about him in complete sentences because that's how we all think apparently and she says his name and he hears her say his name and she's like rubbing a beer a beer glass on her forehead while she's Uh in this steamy bathtub and yeah it pans out to him in the other room sitting in a chair with his back to her and like rolling his head like oh oh that's hot (laughs) do it again uh yeah that's my second favorite scene in the movie Broke.